Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is a character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Goldsmith hits it, a ton out to deep left, and it is gone! Into the bullpen of the Kansas City Royals. A two-run homer for Paul Goldsmith. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN, that part of a Cardinal barrage of 12 hits last night and a 9-3 win over the Kansas City Royals. With Michelle Smallman, I am Randy Carriker at 701. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Michelle, St. Louis is just a happier place after the Cardinals win. It really is, Randy. We woke up this morning. The sun is coming up. It's shining. The birds are chirping. Everyone is smiling. It's a great day. Uh, that Paul Goldschmidt's pretty good, huh? We're seeing the Arizona Paul Goldschmidt right now. You know, we saw a pretty good second half out of him last we year, did. but we are seeing the consistency that we were promised with Paul Goldschmidt. And what a fun player he is to watch when he's Ooh. playing like this. 368 batting average now, a 507, 507 on base and a 561 slug for an OPS of 1.068. Playing great defense, obviously getting timely hits for the club and the guy that you need in the middle of a lineup. You need a number three hitter that is going to produce on a uh, on a really consistent basis. Cardinals have been pretty fortunate since 2001 with first Albert Pujols and then Matt Holiday, and now Goldschmidt is following in their footsteps. Yeah, he's providing you timely hits. He's giving you the power that you need in the offense. He had that diving stop at first base. You have no <laughs> no questions about what he's going to give you at first. And not to mention, we talked about yesterday just the presence that he has in the clubhouse as well. He's not getting enough credit, I think, for the way that he is kind of a glue guy in the locker well, room for in the clubhouse for a back of a letter a better term. And it's because of who he is and what we hear is what he is. He's all about team. He'll never talk about himself. He only Mm -hmm. wants other people around him to be better. He takes care of his own job, but he's never going to self-glorify at all under any circumstances, which is kind of the way Matt Holiday is, too. Early take it earlier at Randy. Paul Goldschmidt has major Ryan O'Reilly vibes. Oh, yeah, I'll take that. Definitely. Yeah, wants to help young people get better. A guy that can be a centerpiece for a winning team and a guy who does everything well everything well in his sport and consistently working you read all the time about goldie getting his working in the cage and how he's constantly trying to better himself wants zero accolades for it just as that type of guy that's constantly striving to be better and other members of the team take note of it and want to be like him i always go back to what tony larusa said when he was in arizona he said closest thing to pools we've ever seen and he is he's nobody is ever going to be what albert was between right. 2001 and 2011 But in terms of getting close and playing on the infield and just the work ethic and the way he goes about his business, 
Goldschmidt looks pretty darn close. And also, like Albert, I always go back to what Matt Carpenter said when the Cardinals first acquired Goldschmidt. He said he's going to be a force multiplier for us, meaning when he's on, everyone else is better. And we saw we have seen it. Once he's on, it seems like the Cardinals go. You Carpenter know? said that? I think it was Carpenter. Not everybody. Oh, <laughs> Randy. <laughs> I think he meant the team, Randy. Oh, okay. <laughs> The team, maybe not every individual, but the team. <laughs> newcomer, newcomer Brad Miller has a new nickname for Goldie. Yeah, and Paul was talking about, you know, when we came back here, he thought we, we had like a Zoom call before we played, uh, maybe it was the White Sox, I guess, was the first team. Um, we had a Zoom call and, you know, he said, hey, we're just going to kind of go out there and have fun you know, laugh, you know, this and that, you know, and uh, kind of play loose. And all Paul has done is he unbuttoned, he's, he's playing with one button unbuttoned. So that's his version of of a little flash. So, yeah, he, he's the big fundamental. <laughs> Isn't that beautiful? Tim Duncan in, in baseball, the big fundamental. It fits. It really fits. Yep. And I'm glad to see that he unbuttoned that button. Oh, man, he's, he's loosened up big time. He's so loose. <laughs> <laughs> that is so funny that that's his version of loose. <laughs> Meanwhile, Goldie himself with that home run last night, with the batting average up to 368, talked about how he prepares. Like I said, once you get on the field, it's not too different. You know, maybe you warm up in the outfield instead of warming up in the weight room or some you know little things like that you know gotta have a certain time to use the cage or whatever but it's you know it's really not as different as i think people think you know you kind of see some of the things but once you kind of get on the field and once you hit once you get that competition i mean it's it's almost the exact same if not the exact same and obviously it's working and michelle when the cardinals acquired him the day they announced the trade Bill DeWitt Jr. said, this guy is the perfect Cardinal. And I Mm -hmm. hope Cardinal fans are recognizing that because he is a perfect fit for Cardinal Nation. He is, but for some reason, I don't think he's gotten as much love as we expected him to. I'll never forget when we found out that he was coming to St. Louis. We were at our Christmas party at Topgolf here for 101 ESPN. And everybody went nuts. We were running to our car so that we could tweet something and read the news. We couldn't believe that it was happening. And maybe it's because despite his success last season, despite the team's success last season, it didn't seem like people were that engaged with this Cardinals team last year. I don't really know why, but didn't you feel like last year, despite going to the NLCS, Mm -hmm. that people weren't as crazy in love with this Cardinals team as you would expect them to be? Yeah, I agree with that. And I I think that the people are looking for reasons to not like a team that goes to the playoffs. I think we are kind of spoiled. And I think he was probably a victim of his consistency. Yeah. That... After that second game of the season, when he hit the three home runs, he just goes out, like you said, does his job, works out in the outfield, gets ready for a game that way. But he's not spectacular. And I do think, heck, I just mentioned the name Albert Pools. I think he's, like any hitter in St. Louis, living in the shadow of Albert Pools at the moment. Yeah, Matt Holiday suffered from that yep, too, right? Big time. Yeah, and those are some big shoes to fill. But I think the good thing about the big fundy, or, <laughs> you know, our, our new nickname for him, the big fundamental, is that he's not trying to be anybody but himself. He's not trying to be uh, flashy, or he's not trying to be the next Albert Pujols. He just wants to go out there and quietly do his job and provide consistent, yep. so you know, offense and and be. A stalwart on the bases. I mean, this is just what he wants to do, and I appreciate that. I appreciate that he's not trying to be a star, a yeah. superstar. The Cardinals have a guy who 
is probably incapable of doing his job quietly and incapable of becoming a superstar. And that's Jack Flaherty. Mm -hmm. Five innings last night, one hit. He was spectacular. He struck out three through 64 pitches. His ERA down to 1.98. And it's hard to imagine that when he goes out there every fifth day that eventually the country won't be watching. He's, He's that unbelievable to watch. He looks so sharp. It's good to see him building up. And as we mentioned yesterday, of course, it was Kobe Bryant Day. So you mm-hmm. knew that Jack Flaherty, he's going to go out and, and look good for you and typically deliver anyway. But there was no way he wasn't going to come out last night and do what he did. And he loves the idea of trying to live up to that Mamba mentality, doesn't he? He really does. He, he's taken it to heart. Yes. And he goes out and competes the way that Kobe Bryant did. Yeah, it's... Um, It's not just a a motto for him. It seems to be a lifestyle. And when you think about Kobe Bryant and the Mamba mentality and the way that he worked day in and day out, and I just, I I appreciate that out of Jack Flaherty. If he's going to emulate somebody from a work ethic standpoint, there's really nobody better than Kobe Bryant, right? No doubt about it. And Flaherty loved the idea of pitching on 824. I believe it was after my last start I knew, and I would one of my buddies, my my best friend had texted me, and he said he asked me when my next start was, and I said it's probably Monday. And he was like, you know what the date is? And I checked and saw that it was 824 and knew it was, you know, knew it was Kobe's day coming right after his birthday. Um, just the athlete that he was and, and the impact he's had on so many people. It was, uh, you know, it, it was just, it all kind of fell into place. And, you know, God clearly had a plan for, you know, to, I got lucky to, to be able to pitch on today. And, you know, it was just, was one of those things that was, uh, I know it's just, it's, Still doesn't quite feel real to myself and I'm sure a bunch of others, but it still doesn't feel real that um, what happened all those months ago. But, you know, to pitch on today is special and there's really no other way to put it. And it just, it just happened that way. You know, it just, it just happened to work out that way to, to be able to pitch today. It's cool that he looked up to Kobe, the competitor, and is trying to emulate Kobe, the competitor. Yeah, hopefully he has as much championship success as Kobe yeah, did. <laughs> absolutely. A couple of other notes from last night. How about the top of the order? Edmund, two for four with a walk. Miller, three for four with a walk. Goldie, three for four with a walk. Goldie, uh, or rather, Carp got on base with a walk as well. Paul DeYoung has a hit and... Uh, Drives in three. So a lot of good things happened for the Cardinals at the top of the lineup last night. And I, I guess tonight you probably move DeYoung back into the cleanup spot. But it's so good to have him back in the lineup. Doesn't he just bring a completely different dimension to yeah. what the Cardinals are doing offensively? It's so great to ha- we see it with Yachty. So great to have him return. Same thing with Paul DeYoung. He strikes fear into a pitcher. He had 30 home runs last year. And he changes the way that the club is pitched. And he'll change the dynamic of that top four when he moves back into the top four. Simply because he can protect somebody. And uh, last night, Yachty went 0 for 4. But DeYoung is a guy that, especially with Goldschmidt sitting there in the, the three-hole... If you're a pitcher, you say, okay, do I really want to work around Goldschmidt that closely and put him on base just so that I can face Paul DeYoung? I don't think you want to do that. No. Not, not that you'd rather pitch to Goldie than DeYoung. You wouldn't. But I do think that you do pitch to Goldschmidt more carefully now than you might have. You, if you don't have a number four hitter that can hit or isn't a, a major threat, then you just say, Goldie is not going to beat us. He's the guy that's not going to beat us. And how nice to have two guys in your lineup that have pitchers thinking like that. Yeah, and hopefully the Cardinals will get more as they go along because hopefully Dylan Carlson, who also had a hit last night, that batting average up to 163 now, 
Hopefully he'll wind up being a middle-of-the-order bat as well. If nothing else, he could move into the number two spot in the order. And Brad Miller has been a revelation. But then you you move Carlson up and everybody else moves down a slot. And all of a sudden, you've really got some depth to the lineup. Yeah, it's nice to see so many guys producing. It really is. And I was really happy to see Dylan Carlson continue to, to get another one last night. The Cardinals will play the Royals again tonight. By the way, we're going to talk to the Royals manager, Mike Matheny, at 930. But as we speak, as you wake up on 825, the Cardinals with a record of 10 and 8. Now they have a two and a half game advantage over the third place Brewers in the division. Top two teams in each division make the playoffs. And the Cardinals three behind the Cubs. Right now, you would still in the National League have two teams that would make the playoffs with losing records if the season were to end today. All right. So, and the Cardinals don't have a losing record, so we'll take it. We will take it. Go Cards. This this post COVID outbreak Cardinals team, Randy, been really fun. Yeah, and it's going to even even get more fun. Wait till all these doubleheaders when they have their nine man rotation for five days. <laughs> it's going to be great. Coming up, the Blues are back from Edmonton and the bubble. Not the way they wanted to be back, but they're back nonetheless. The Blues have a free agent, and next year they have another big free agent decision to make. Who would you rather have back among upcoming free agents? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Michelle, we've talked a lot about the Blues having a pending free agent in Alex Petrangelo, but it's not just as simple as saying that Alex Petrangelo is an unrestricted free agent because we get to next year. And by the way, the Blues' other unrestricted free agents this year, uh, Bo Meester will not be back, and Troy Brower, and then some minor leaguers, Jordan Nolan, uh, who's been up here once or twice. But next year, when you look at the unrestricted free agent list for the Blues, you have Steen, you have Jaden Schwartz, you have Tyler Bozak, you have Carl Gunnarsson, you have both goalies, Bennington and Jake Allen. So you have, this year, a guy who was arguably your best player, even though he didn't win the Con Smythe last year. You could argue that the Blues' best player last year in the playoffs from start to finish was Alex Petrangelo. Mm-hmm. Next year, as an unrestricted free agent, you have your goaltender that backstopped you to your first ever Stanley Cup championship. At some point, Doug Armstrong is going to have to make decisions. By the way, after the, the year after next year is going to be really tough, too, because you have David Perron up again, and he might, I, I don't know if he'll stick around, but you have Pareko coming up after the two years down the road, too. So... A question for that has to ring in Doug Armstrong's ears is, do I do everything I can to keep Petrangelo this year with the chance that I could lose Biddington after next year? Or do I let Alex Petrangelo go, which would give me a lot more flexibility in signing guys next year and two years down the road? The question that he has to ask himself, essentially, is who's more valuable to the future of my club? Is it a 30-year-old Alex Petrangelo or a 26-year-old Jordan Biddington? It's a tough pill to swallow either way, thinking of moving one of those. And the business of sports is always the worst, but you can't keep them all. You really can't. And... I think the answer might be complicated because I think the tougher pill to swallow might be losing Petro. He might be more valuable to your club in so many ways, but I I think that's the 
that's the route that he might need to take. It's a tougher pill to swallow, but when you think about keeping other people, it's essentially, do you want to buy one thing that's going to cost a lot of money, or do you want to buy several things that are the same price? And I think the other question that I would have in making this decision, I know what I'm going to get out of Alex Petrangelo probably for the next five years. I don't know what I'm going to get out of Jordan Bennington. Is it the Bennington that we saw down the stretch in 1819 in the second half of the season and in the playoffs? Or is it the Bennington that we saw for a lot of this year in which statistically, while he did have a lot of wins, he was middle of the pack in goals against. He was right around the top 10, I think 11th in save percentage. Jake Allen was a lot better in those statistics mm-hmm. this year than Jordan Bennington. Then you have Bennington's playoff which causes me to ask more questions. I don't know what I have, and I know that's why the Blues gave him a two-year deal rather than a five-year deal last year. You don't know what you have, but you know what the ceiling is. What he's capable of. And the ceiling is pretty good. So you know that he is capable of that and that hopefully he can find that consistently. And I think we we tend to forget that he hadn't done that for a full season yet. Well, we saw in the, in the playoffs when they won the Stanley Cup wasn't a full season of Jordan Bennington. And this was a, a unique season for a player like that. You had a very quick turnaround. We obviously had the start or excuse me, the stop and play that affected players in different ways. And you also, as much as you know what you have with Petro, if you sign this deal, you're looking at the backside of, of his career. You don't know what he's going to look like at the end of that deal, if he's going to be the same player for you by the time the contract is up. No, but historically, defensemen like him have been able to put a lot of tread on the tires and last for a long time. Chelios, who was a more physical player than Petro, played well into his 40s. You look at a guy like Lid- Nick Lidstrom playing till he was 40. Prongs could have played forever if, and not comparing Petro and Prongs, because Prongs is a Hall of Famer and won an MVP, but just in terms of having the stride, not playing a game where you're knocking people around a lot. Prongs had a tendency to get people with a stick more than he did with the, with the body. But defensemen seem to last for a while. And I would think that if you would sign Alex Petrangelo to a seven-year deal, that you could count on most of that being good. You have three years left after this season with Tarasenko and O'Reilly. And then obviously you've signed Shen and Falk to long-term contracts. The big issue that the Blues have is that Falk contract mm-hmm. right now. If they didn't have that, they would be able to take more of a shot at Petrangelo. But the issue is they thought at the beginning of the season when they made that trade that there would be some difficulty in signing Petrangelo. And there probably still will be. His agent is has been compared in hockey terms, to the Scott Boris of hockey. Loves to take his guys, he's Tavares' agent, takes his guys mm-hmm. into free agency and gets the highest dollar. So if you're in the Blues' shoes, we just figured out blue shoes. <laughs> uh, if you're in the blue shoes, you had to make that deal for a three-time All-Star like Justin Falk. You'd hope that he would play better, but that was a preemptive move because they thought that there was a very good chance that they were going to lose Petro. Where's that Blue Shoes song from? Blues Clues. The, the it was a kids show when my I don't know if it's still on but when my kids were kids there was a, a show called Blues Clues it was a little blue dog mm-hmm. and they would give you clues along the you know, little uh, snippets of information along a trail during the course of a half hour and then you could figure it out and we just figured out Blues Clues we just figured figured out Blues Clues we just figured <laughs> out Blues Clues because we're very smart. Well, hopefully the Blues are going to figure out how to solve this. They need some Blues conundrum. Clues. <laughs>
You're right, though. I mean, there there's so many th- reasons why you would want to bring back Alex Petrangelo. Yeah. Uh, but I just I don't know if it's possible. I, I don't know if they're going to be able to mi- to move the pieces around to, to make it happen. You would need to open up seven million dollars in cap space next year. You have about two. And by the way, that would be with the knowledge that you wouldn't be able to keep Vince Dunn around either. But you have Perunovic coming along. You have Mikola coming along. You would have to buy out Alexander Steen, and you'd probably have to move Allen. And that's going to be hard because the salary cap is flat. So I don't know how easy it's going to be to trade salaries. And then the big concern for me, and maybe you could move somebody else, I don't think the Blues at this stage can afford to let Jaden Schwartz get away. Because a few years ago, the Blues had the best three left-wingers in the game when they had Schwartz, Steen at left wing at the top of his game, and Robbie Fabry. Robbie Fabry didn't work out. By the way, congratulations on the new deal with the Red Wings. Robbie Fabry. (laughs) Steen is not going to be a top six forward anymore. If he's back, he's not going to be a top six. So are you thinking Sammy Blay and not – I shouldn't say it that way. Are you thinking Sammy Blay (laughs) – Tone and, is everything. And Zach Sanford, right? That was uh, the tone was bad, wasn't it? <laughs> it was. I should I shouldn't say it that way. Sammy Blay. <laughs> but are are those legitimate top six left wingers? I don't think they are. Maybe they will be, but I wouldn't want to count on those guys becoming consistent performers and being top six guys. I think they're top nine guys, and I hope they turn into top six guys. And the Blues know better than me, but. This year, Jaden Schwartz scored 22 goals. He's a conscientious defensive player. He gets back and plays defense. He comes with energy. He, he scores goals at big times. He's a playoff player. I don't think that the Blues are in a position where they can just let Jaden Schwartz walk away after next year. So much of this decision is going to be predicated on what is behind these guys yep. and how comfortable they feel about the future at certain positions. I was thinking about this with Jordan Bennington, the questions that we have now about about him and his uh, capabilities of, of doing this for for a long term situation. How valuable is Jake Allen? Then I thought Billy Huso is a guy we hear a lot about. What's what's his future look like? We need to dig into that. How comfortable do the Blues feel with him? I don't know. Well, they can only keep one of those goalies. Sure, and it'd be smart, I think, to get one under contract sooner rather than later. So the question becomes, as we sit here on August 24th, and hopefully the Blues will be back in action in mid-December or so. During this offseason of September, October, November, first half of December, I'm giving you the opportunity to make that choice, who you're going to sign long-term. If you sign Alex Petrangelo, you probably won't be able to keep Bennington or Allen but if you don't sign him, you'll be able to keep a lot of other guys. What are you going to do? And, and let's just give him a contract right now, 9 times 7 is 63, right? 63 over 7 is what we're going to say. That's The only reason I know that is because of touchdowns. Oh, so, yeah. Good go work. Good work. Good work with the math, <laughs> the quick math there. I was impressed. You probably saw my face. I was like, wow, Randy. Um I don't think I do it, and it's nothing against him, but I'm looking down the road, and I don't want anything to get in the way of me potentially signing Colton Pareko. I think that's the choice that ultimately that they have to make. Do you want Petro, or do you want Pareko? And even though Pareko didn't have the best playoff, he's three years younger, and he can be part of a new core mm-hmm. for you. And... Petro is preserving and keeping the window open for the core that you do have. 
but you don't know about Tarasenko's future. Right. So you'd have O'Reilly, Shen, Falk, Petro. That would kind of be your core for the foreseeable future at the expense probably of Schwartz, a goalie, and Pareko. That's a lot. Yeah. So I'm with you. I think depending on what his agent and what he is asking for, even though I would hate to see him walk out the door, because I, like I said, I think Petrangelo, first of all, I I think he's a great guy. He's a great St. Louis guy. Absolutely. But he was their best player last year with with his greatest Pareko and Bo Meester and O'Reilly were from day one against Winnipeg until the June 24th against the uh, the Boston Bruins, he was the, their best overall player. Was it tw- the 24th? Is that right? No, the 24th is when I got the tattoo. The 12th <laughs> is when they won the, the title, right? I don't know. I, I don't remember. Sure. Let's find, I should remember that. Yeah. But anyway, he over the course of those 26 games that they played, I think he was their best player. So I would hate to see him walk out the door. But I do think, like you said, you said it best, you can't keep everybody and I think they have a chance to keep more people together to keep their window open longer if he does walk out the door and they don't give him what somebody else will. And if he'll stay for less, all bets are off. I agree. But if you're him, is that really an option for you? Well, again, he's got the, the triplets here in St. Louis. His wife's family is here. They were married here. His kids were born here. He's become a St. Louisan. He's coming off of a deal for 45, I believe, $46 million. So at some point, you have to ask yourself, either way, those triplets and their families are going to be set for life, whether I sign for $50 million or $63 million. $13 million is an awful lot of money. But do I need that to be happy? It's a but, good question. And the agent has to acquiesce here. But... Do do I need that extra thirteen or fourteen million dollars to to fulfill my life? Yes, it'd be a it'd be a lot of money to leave on the table, but I know this: the most money I ever made, I was the most miserable. Really? Yeah. So, money does not buy happiness. I can guarantee you that. I don't know, Randy. Have you ever been on a nice boat? He can buy a nice boat. That's the <laughs> thing. Kidding. He'll he'll have a hundred million dollars. So a hundred, a hundred million rather than a hundred and ten. But if you're if you're the type of player that is interested in taking a hometown discount, do you really have the Scott Boris of hockey agents making your phone calls? Probably not. Probably not. No, but I do think that those guys. Well, you're highly influenced by your agent. I do think that there are some guys that get together with an agent when they're young, and they they just stick with the agent. By the way, why don't we hear? Uh, David Perron yesterday. I just want to get this cut quickly on why he thinks Petro should stay here. Just so he can buy more houses in St. Louis. The guy's a, might as well be a realtor. He loves uh, <laughs> going around town and uh, thinking he can look at different places. I think, obviously, they love St. Louis. Janie's from uh, from St. Louis. I don't think there's a doubt that he would like to stay in that part. Um, I'm, I'm honestly just going to stay out of it, to be honest with you. Uh, uh, Petro's are our leader, our, well, probably our best player most nights with, with O'Reilly. And uh, the way he played this year with this whole situation, with, to me, was extremely impressive. Uh, we play our whole careers to win the Cup, and um, I, I think he wants to feel like he's respected. He wants to feel like uh, he gets his share of things, and uh, I, I think he deserves it, too. 
And David Perron knows what the grass looks like on the other side. He's gone twice and mm-hmm. come back twice, in addition to coming here initially. Uh, one of Petro's best friends is David Backus, who left and did not have the best experience, I don't think, with the Bruins. So I think there are resources for Petro to lean on if he so desires. True, but after Albert Pujols left St. Louis, I never, ever, ever will assume a player wants to stay here for all oh, of the reasons you just listed. No, certainly not. But because of you know you know of those experiences, and we've talked about it with Albert, if he had to do it all over again, he's seen the grass on the other side. If he had to do it all over again, he wound up making less money than he would have if he would have just taken the $210 million here because of the taxes in California. I have to believe that he would have... If he had to do it all over again, I bet you Albert Pools would stay here and take the two ten. Yeah, I after we saw his reunion at Bush Stadium yep. and what a special yep. moment that was, and I, but hindsight's always twenty twenty. Right. And he he did get his agent got the biggest contract right at that time. And remember, at the time, he said it's about respect. Yep. And what did Perron just say about Petro? He wants to feel respected. Right. And if you are the Blues and you can only offer a certain amount of money, the same way the Cardinals could only offer a certain amount of money, it depends on what makes you feel respected. And that's different for every person and every player. Speaking of respect, should the Cardinals respect Carlos Martinez enough that he goes right back into the starting rotation when he returns? That's next with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. The Cardinals are ready, if he wants to come back, to bring Carlos Martinez back to their team and back to their bullpen. But Michelle, it was interesting yesterday, Mike Schilt saying that Carlos wants to come back as a starting pitcher, and the Cardinals would have to build him up to be a starting pitcher. I'm interested to see where this goes and how Carlos Martinez actually winds up fitting in when he's back with the ball club. Yeah, part of me appreciates, Randy, that he is being vocal about what he wants and saying that that's going to be his goal and what he's going to strive to, to get to because they obviously have to build him back up because this is somebody that had COVID and not only had it and was asymptomatic, he had symptoms. He was in the mm-hmm. hospital. He shared that picture on Instagram. So his body's got to get back and he's got to stretch himself out. But I would also kind of like to see him take the approach of, hey, I understand that I wanted to be a starter and I've done everything asked of me in the offseason to make sure I get there. But the team is doing really well right now. And I'm going to just do whatever I can to contribute to the team's success in any way. Because the starting pitching has been fine. They're going to need starting pitchers with all the doubleheaders coming up. He'll get an opportunity to start games. I'm with you. I believe that Carlos Martinez, and hey, let's start with this, him catching COVID-19 was no fault of his own. We can't assume that, so I'm going to assume that it's not. But the fact of the matter is, he hasn't pitched for a long time, and he's not ready to start, and they don't have minor league rehab Mm -hmm. stints. So the only thing that he can come back to, as far as I'm concerned right now, is a bullpen spot. That's what I think that ultimately he should do, and it should be sooner rather than later. 
And you know what he can give you in that role, too. You know how dynamic he can be and what a weapon he can be. Yeah. Another guy who had COVID and spends time on Instagram is the catcher, Yadi Molina. <laughs> and yesterday morning, Michelle, you alerted me to uh, an Instagram post from Yadi with a bunch of people from the Cardinal organization and people that work with Yadi. And the only caption was blank COVID. Yeah, I had woken up yesterday. I was doing my my pre-show reading, Randy drinking some coffee. I went to check Instagram, and it was the first thing that popped up when I saw it. And I thought, whoa, what? What is what is he trying to say here? I, I, I couldn't really process it because I didn't know if that was a, hey, I don't really care about this. I'm going to post this to make a statement. I didn't know if it was a, hey, I've beaten this, and I, I feel pumped that I've beaten this. But either way... Me seeing that, I thought, regardless of what his intention was, this is not going to be taken well. No. And so he deleted the post, and moments later, the Cardinals put out a release, John Mozeliak saying, given our experience, let me do it this way, given our experience with the outbreak, (laughs) we have to be extra vigilant as we fight the coronavirus with the three basic principles of social distancing, wearing a mask, proper hygiene. The Cardinals, as an organization, must emphasize this in any setting as we move forward. We will remind players and staff that these practices must be done at both home and on the road for us to be successful. At the end of the day, uh, then Yadi posted the, yes. Was I was going to okay? say that was good. Thanks. Good work. Then Yadi reposted the same picture. Yes. That said, I wanted to make a few things clear with the picture I sent. I know COVID is a serious virus. Trust me. I had it for a week myself. Many of the people in the picture are the, are the same way. And we got together to celebrate beating COVID. The other people in the picture are tested routinely because they work directly at my house or are part of my family. I understand how this looks from the outside, and even though I do this most of the time, I will make sure to be more careful to wear masks and socially distance in the future. And my message under the picture was to show the world that we can't beat this thing. I know this won't make everyone understand, but I hope it clears up some concerns people have. F COVID. Not because I don't care about the protocols, but because this won't beat us. And I'm glad he clarified that because I saw the initial picture and the next thing I know I'm seeing on social media, of course, people outside of St. Louis saying this is why the Cardinals mm-hmm. had to had to stop that. I can't believe that they're not taking this seriously. And like I said, even though that clearly was not Yachty's intent, it doesn't really matter sometimes what your intention is on nope. social media. People are going to view things through whatever lens they want to view things. I think we can throw sometimes out. It never <laughs> yeah. matters on social media what you mean because it's all perception because perception becomes people's reality Yeah, you could say the sky is blue and someone will reply shut up it's green exactly right so hopefully and i'm sure that it was either a phone call or a text that uh either mo or somebody in the cardinal organization sent to yadi that said why the face what's going on (laughs) you know isn't that what wtf means yeah basically by the face Uh so they sent that to uh yadi and so he clarified things for us I can't imagine waking up and you're Mo or Shill, a member of the Cardinals organization, and your phone probably has a million messages on it. And you're like, what now? What's going on now? So, And fortunately, Adi, back in the lineup, and by the way, several of those people are Cardinal employees that did deal with COVID and obviously members of his family and people that are tested on a regular basis, so he didn't have to quarantine anymore. And, you know, just like Herm Edwards says, sometimes just don't hit send. Don't hit send. It's that simple. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up. We've got Take It or Leave It. Get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Tioli on 101 ESPN. 
We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Time for Take It or Leave It. Text in 65780. That's our Air Comfort Service text line. We uh, both had, Michelle and I both had birthdays in the last week or so. And I gave Michelle a spirits. Michelle likes vintage t-shirts. She's got like a 1985 Cardinals Champions t-shirt and stuff like that. Yeah. And so uh, I give her a Spirits of St. Louis t-shirt that you're wearing today. I'm proud of it. Thank you, Randy. Great gift. And what a cool shirt this is. What a cool logo. This was, I love the the font. I love everything. I love the color, the bright orange. I love everything about it. Man, I wish that the Spirits would have been an NBA team and that we would still have them here. What a fun team they were. That's one of my favorite 30 for 30s. It's fantastic. And if you don't know of the Spirits of St. Louis from the old ABA, just Google them and you can find millions of stories and videos about them. Because even though they only lasted two years, they were one of the most memorable franchises really in American sports history because they had a character by the name of Marvin Barnes, but a lot of other characters, one being Bob Costas. A young Bob Costas being the voice of the Spirits of yeah. St. Louis right out of Syracuse. Yeah, so fun stuff and a, a great, maybe one of the greatest logos ever, Spirits of St. Louis. Pretty good, pretty yeah. good. All right, Michelle, the Sixers yesterday fired coach Brett Brown. That dismissal expected to be a precursor for more upheaval for the Sixers senior leadership. And General Manager Elton Brand is going to begin exploring changes in their front office structure. Take it or leave it. Shouldn't have trusted that process. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm kind of, I mean, based on the results, I think you have to take it, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, now that you're trying to, to disrupt things and find a different route, things didn't work out in Philly the way you expected. So I guess I have to take it. No, that, that was a bad idea from the start. Tanking is not always going to work. They had two number one overall picks that were just abject failures. And they traded the rights to Jason Tatum. That was the weirdest thing, is trading the number three pick, which was Jason Tatum, for the number one pick to get that uh, the guard from Washington that just can't shoot. Markel Fultz? Yeah. Yeah. Unbelievable. Take it or leave it, Randy. Things in Philly may be different if Sam Hinkie was still there. Yeah, I'll take it. I think they'd be worse. <laughs> <laughs> I think they would. (laughs) I just wonder if the architect of the process saw it through, but it might be different. I don't think so. (laughs) They've got issues over there. Okay, take it or leave it, Randy. St. Louis would be an unbelievable NBA city. Yeah, I'll take that. I think, well, from a fan's perspective, I think that we would buy tickets. I think that we would fill an arena. I think we, we, we would be really interested in and compelled by the NBA. My biggest question would be, especially now with the advent of MLS, do we have enough corporate support to support Cardinals, Blues, MLS, and an NBA team? We do have a lot of Fortune. I think we have nine Fortune 500 companies and a lot of other great corporate citizens, but I don't know if we have enough. And the Battlehawks, Randy, when they come back. That's right. Good point. All right, your text 65780, the Air Comfort Service text line. Scott Manziero, what do you got for us? This comes from the 636. Take it or leave it. More baseball teams should have captains and a C on their jersey. Yeah, I'll take that. Yeah. Derek Jeter had a C, didn't he? I think so. Derek he was the captain. Jeter. Yeah. <laughs> Derek Jeter. Yeah. 
I think that's a good idea. Why not have a leader? Uh, have a defined leader. This one comes from the 314. Take it or leave it. Despite not playing the 60 games the Cardinals probably hope for, at the end of the season, Goldie will still have the most walks in the MLB. I'll go with that. At some point, they're going to start walking him even more. Oh, definitely. By the way, I'm looking on MLB Network, the highlights from the Cardinals game are on. Where would you put the C? Because you don't want to put it on the front of the shirt. You just have the that beautiful st- birds on the back. Would you want it on the side? Do we have the Nike patch yeah, right now? it's there. Maybe right above the Nike patch on the shoulder. But then it would be pretty small. Yeah, it, Jeter's was really small. It's not like a hockey C. It's a smaller one. But then what's the point? Because no, everybody still knows you're the captain. I guess. Who would wear the C for this Cardinals team? That's a really good question. Take it or leave it. Yachty would take it no matter what. Yeah, I think you'd have to take it. <laughs> Who's going to yeah. say? No. Um, yeah. Okay, so I'm going to leave it because look, look at this Cardinals team. Mm-hmm. Look at all the great leadership uh, guys that they have that provide great leadership in this clubhouse. Imagine if there was a leadership council and everybody had to vote on who the leader would be. They would vote for Yachty. Okay, but... Do you think then that a guy like Wayno would defer to Yachty? They work so good in concert together. I would never want to put a situation where you would have to diminish one person's leadership light to highlight another. He doesn't have to defer. For me, you'd treat it like a hockey captain so that if somebody needed to argue with an umpire, with social distancing and a mask, of course, that player would be judged to be the perfect choice for that job. And Yachty plays every day. He knows all the umpires. So I think that, and a liaison between the manager and the rest of the players. I think Yachty would be good for that. Wayno would be a great liaison too, especially between Mike Schilt and this group of players. But I think in terms of perceived everyday leadership, I think you'd have to go with Yachty. But what if the team voted in, in an upset? It wasn't Yachty. Then you're causing problems, Randy. Why not even? Oh, why you, even go about this? See, you don't take a vote. You, man- just, you just have the manager the assign manager it? The manager decides, yeah. See, I'm I'm definitely in the camp of if there's going to be a leader on the team, the team should vote for it. Okay, can we hear the initial question again? Yeah, take it or leave it. You would want a C on a jersey for baseball players. Leave it. <laughs> <laughs> We're leaving it. It's out. I don't want any confusion here. It's out. <laughs> All right, this one comes from the 563. Take it or leave it. Albert would not be viewed in much different, or he would now be viewed much differently by the best fans in baseball if he had stayed. 100% take. Take, take, take. Yeah. There's... That's that's the problem with this. Everyone was so bummed that he left, and we would be celebrating all of these milestones right now, but it would be tinged with bitterness because there's nothing that he could have really done in this second chapter of his career that would have ever matched what he right. did in the first half of his career. And think of how long we've just been waiting for 660 here. It's been a long time now. Yeah. So things aren't happening like they used to for Albert. and. I've always thought that the Twitter fan is different than the ballpark fan. I believe that he would still, uh, through last year, he would still be revered because Cardinal fans revere their heroes or just their players, which is great when they're in the ballpark. But, man, they eviscerate him on Twitter. And so I think he would have been... He would have been well to stay off social media if he would have stuck around. Uh, he doesn't strike me as a social media type no, guy, uh, so I don't no. think that that would be a problem. The 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. This one comes from the 314. Take it or leave it. You would want Bill Belichick to be the head coach of the NFL to run your fantasy football team. 
Uh, I'm going to leave that. Who? Uh, I would probably... I, I would probably go with a guy like uh, Brent Veach. I, I don't think that Bill Belichick is as great a talent evaluator as people give him credit for being. They got lucky because Gronkowski fell, had the bad back at Arizona. They got lucky. If they thought Brady was going to be that great, they would have taken him in the first round rather than the sixth. They they don't have any other Hall of Famers that they've drafted since he's been there in 2000, 20 years now. And they they don't have players that you say are transcendent, different maker, difference maker guys. I don't think that he's the best talent evaluator in the league. I think he's the best at putting guys in position, getting an average player and turning him into a guy that can fit the scheme and get the most out of that player. But I don't think that he is a great talent evaluator. I might choose Pete Carroll. Pete Carroll is a pretty good talent evaluator. And I just imagine him chomping yeah. on the gu- on that gum, trying to make fantasy yeah. football deals all the time. I think right. he'd be great. Yeah. What, what you want to get is people that can evaluate great offensive talent and, like you say, make other people believe that the talent that you have is really good. So I think Pete Carroll is a pretty good call. Is there a former Rams coach that you'd pick? No. <laughs> there is not. Dick Vermeil? Mike Martz? No, no. Because Mike fell in love with his guys. Remember Mike telling us, oh, you're going to love this guy that we, we're going to sign. We're going to sign. He's going to be as good as anybody we got. He's our quarterback of the future. It was Kirk Farmer from Mizzou. Oh. Yeah, he, he called uh, Scott Covington. Scott Covington started a game for the Rams and. 03 or 04. Just awful. And he started a Monday night game. And during the course of the week, Martz adored Joe Namath. He said, oh, this guy, number 12, he looks just like Joe Namath. The only co- thing that those two had in, combina- in common, Scott Covington and Joe Namath, is number 12. That was it. But Mike loved his guy. So I think that would be a problem in a fantasy football league is falling in love with your players and thinking that they're better than they really are. All right, two more for you. Andy Reid? I think Andy Reid would be a great call, but Veach is... I don't know who made the choice there. I think Andy Reid would be a great call. Because when you look at Philadelphia and Kansas City, pretty impressive. The number of good offensive players that he's had there. You know, he showed up to the draft in a Hawaiian shirt, eating a burger to celebrate. It would be a great time. What about Mike Tomlin? No, I don't think Tomlin's a personnel guy. I think he's a great coach, and I think he does a great job of getting his players to play. But he's not a guy that evaluates personnel. So Kevin Colbert does that for the the uh, Steelers. Who's the, aside from the Chiefs? Who would we regard as the best offensive team or mind in the game right now? Probably the Saints. Sean Payton. Sean Payton. Oh, there you go. Sean call. Payton. Great Sean, call. Sean Payton to be a, a fantasy football coach too. Thank you, Scotty. You got it. And thanks for your text to the Air Comfort Service text line at 65780. Next up, ESPN has the Cardinals in the middle of their power rankings. Is that where they should be? That's next on 101 ESPN. We are right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. It is 8.04 in St. Louis and 2 one Woof, 804, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Coming up at the conclusion of this hour at 845, we're going to talk to veteran Royals play-by-play man Denny Matthews, Greg Wyshynski, and Mike Matheny in the 9 o'clock hour. Michelle and Randy with you. And Michelle, 
The Cardinals are rolling, no doubt about it. Took three of four from the Cincinnati Reds, won the opener last night against Kansas City. And we all love power rankings in sports because they elicit a reaction. That's what people that make power rankings want to do, isn't it? You're at ESPN. Why do people do power rankings? So that we'll talk about it, Randy, and here we are talking about it. <laughs> ESPN.com right now, the ESPN.com staff has the Cardinals at number 15 in their power rankings. If you look at the overall records in baseball, the Cardinals are 12th, right behind Houston, right ahead of Miami. So, First question, is there a big difference between 12 and 15 of the 30 teams in Major League Baseball? Is that huge? Not overly huge. I don't think so. The Cardinals are over 500 and nearly swept the Reds, and they're pretty good. But I think just because of their sample size, because of how many games they've missed, that even if the Cardinals were two games better, if they were 12 and 6 rather than 10 and 8, I would be inclined as a rational, objective observer to keep them in the middle of the pack because I just don't know about them. I thought the the exact same thing. My initial reaction to reading this was, oh, that seems a little low. Are they they paying attention to this team? But then I thought if I was a national writer who wasn't watching this team every day and my main storylines that I knew outside of what I was seeing in in the stat sheet and in in the standings were that this team had, had a major disruption because of a COVID outbreak and had to use all of these players that I had never heard of. And I'm looking at the schedule, seeing all of these games they still had to make up. I would question their viability as well. Now, the Cardinal winning percentage, if you can maintain a 556 winning percentage over the course of a season, you'll take your chances with that. But in a 60-game schedule, I think it's reasonable to look at this. If this were 162 games, I think you... And there, there is no COVID, obviously, if you're playing 162, and you look at being 20 games into a 162-game season, then I think you might look at the Cardinals a little higher. And by the way... The Reds are ranked ahead of the Cardinals. But I still think when you look at the talent of the Reds pitching staff and the talent of their starting nine, even though the Cardinals beat them three out of four over the weekend, I think the talent levels are comparable. I agree. So I'm not upset about the Reds being ranked ahead of the Cardinals at number 14. The Rockies, I can't figure out because... The thing that's happened to them, and they've lost eight in a row, I believe. Let me double check here. But the Rockies have quit hitting. You'd think if the Rockies were going to have a problem, it'd be with their pitching staff, right? Correct. And Charlie Blackman, who was hitting 500 exactly a week ago, is hitting 400 now. Still pretty good. But he's gone something like he's hit 100 over the last week. In the last 10 games, Nolan Arenado has hit about 100 with one home run. Ooh. Yeah. Their offense has just gone in the tank over the course of the last 10 games. Interesting. Does he become more available and valuable, Nolan Arenado? Does valuable to the Cardinals because now that the Rockies have fallen off, I mean, did they finally win a game? They had lost seven in a row. I'm going to double check here. And uh, uh, they did win. So they're 2-8 and eight in their last 10. And they're 14-15. and 15. Two points here. Do the Cardinals want to roll the dice on a guy who might be in decline? And if you're the Rockies, you're a game under 500, and he has been your best player until this year, would you still move him? I don't think that Nolan Arenado has a future with the Cardinals anymore. 
I don't think so either. And I think if you're the Cardinals and it's something that was a difficult equation to figure out anyway, you're looking at what's happening with your team and the things that you would have to get up to acquire him. And all of a sudden he's got potentially some question marks around him. Why would you do that? On this singular day, on August 25th of 2020, I'd rather have Brad Miller playing third base. (laughs) Brad Miller has been unbelievable. Playing defense, he's, he's in the daylight side of the ball. Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you rather have Brad Miller playing third for you? Based on the numbers you just gave me, of course. Yeah. Right now, and for today. <laughs> yeah, maybe Nolan Arenado will bounce back, but he is 29 years old. He does have miles on him. I'm not saying I wouldn't like to have him, but we were talking about the Cardinals making a deal where you give up a prospect and money, and I just don't think right now with. The prospects that the Cardinals have at the position just spent a first-rounder on a third baseman. They have Nolan Gorman, who plays third base. I just don't think that that's a match anymore. And it's amazing how quickly that changed because we talked about it during the COVID break, how if somebody would have asked me during the middle of the COVID break with everything that was transpiring with Jack Flaherty on social media and his Mm -hmm. taking little shots, veiled shots at DeWitt, if I would have done it, I would have said, yeah. But now here we are for the Cardinals 20 games into the season and there's no chance. It's wild how quickly you can change your mind on things like that. What was that? Two months ago, maybe? Uh, By the way, Randy, we get a text from 314 throwing this at you. Mm -hmm. Is it possible that Nolan Arenado is sucking on purpose to ensure he gets traded? I don't think so because he was sucking even when they were good. I... What did he say? He he said, I just want to win. That's why he wants to move from Colorado, because he wants to have an opportunity to win. I can't imagine that when the team is finally succeeding, that he would not want to be a part of that. Because he does like Denver, and they've been pretty good to him. They gave him the contract. Yeah, but he did make it very clear that he wanted out. And I wonder, Mm -hmm. even if they start to succeed, if he still thinks of that place as somewhere he wants to be long term. Because in your uh, mind sometimes, you always think the grass is greener on the other side. And you look at if if he has been talking to Matt Holliday and he's looking at the the Cardinals, this is all hypothetical, Mm -hmm. just specific to the Cardinals, as a place that he he would want. And if he's struggling right now and he's looking at what's happening in St. Louis and the way that they rallied after getting in a pretty tough predicament and you look at the leadership there and the culture there, that's definitely a place. And that's no disrespect to Colorado, but if you already had it in your mind that that was a place you would want to be, it's definitely somewhere where you'd still want to go. Yeah. I just think that his timing is really bad with the contract and the performance and what's left on the contract and what the Cardinals have in terms of youth. And we were talking during the break. It might be a situation right now where Mr. DeWitt wants to win now. Mm-hmm. Maybe he might he would go a little bit further to get a guy like that, but he's going to have to start performing better. Because in the in the here and now, you just don't want a guy that's hit 109 for half of a month. And players go through ebbs and flows. We know Nolan Arenado is still a great player, even despite this stretch. But if you're the guy writing the check, all of a sudden you're starting yeah. to to wonder, should I put the cap back on the pen here? I don't know if I want to make this deal. I think Brad Miller has kind of changed the thought process here. And Edmund, too. Edmund at the top of the lineup because ordinarily you're going to have Edmund at third with DeYoung at short, Longer at second. So Tommy Edmund might be changing the equation here, too. 
Randy, what if I would have told you that Brad Miller would change the equation for Nolan Arenado potentially coming to St. Louis? Never dreamed (laughs) that that would be the case. But that's why I said, as we sit here, here and now on August 25th, I don't know if it'll be that way on August 30th. Yeah, ask us a week from now. Yeah. Our answer will probably have changed. Yeah. And by the way, August 31st, trade deadline. Coming. Coming soon. So it'll be interesting. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. And that is your fresh take here on 101 ESPN. Next up, the blue season is over and they didn't go as far as we wanted, but it was still pretty fun. We've got some blues reflections for you next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Michelle, even though the Blues were eliminated from the playoffs on Friday night, it was a fun season. The Blues had the best record in the West when we were stopped because of the coronavirus. And it's always fun to reflect because, as you know, and you think it's a bad season because the Blues didn't win the Stanley Cup, but I like the journey. Oh, I like the hardware. I know you do. (laughs) (laughs) But it was fun. You had some fun times, right? I had some great times, but I'm sorry. I'm not going to be ever. I'm never going to be the person that looks back at a season where you don't win a championship. And I say, they did their best. It was fun. I'm going to say, no, this team was the best team in the West. They were completely capable of repeating as Stanley Cup champions. And I am disappointed that they did not do it. And I'm good effort kid. And Scotty's going to find good effort kid for us. Oh, LeBron. Yeah. I'm Scotty. You got to find good effort, kid, for us because good I'm good job. effort, kid. Good effort. <laughs> yeah, you're. Are you orange slices guy at the end of the game? Oh, totally. Here's a orange juice slices box. are delicious. You know, as an adult, you eat an orange, you peel it off, and then you break it off yourself. You never get the slices with the rind on it. Right. It's only something you do for kids. Why is that? That's a great question because it's something that. I enjoy immensely. It's way better to eat the slice with the rind on it and peel yeah. it off that way. Yeah. We need to take care of ourselves before our kids. Think about all the cool things you get as a kid that you don't get as an adult. Oh. Why do we do that? We're making yeah. the choices. Yeah. We're in charge now. So what you're saying is the Blues should have gotten some hardware. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> Favorite moment of the year. There, I, I have a couple. Okay, go, Number you go one, first. opening night, and we were there to watch the Blues raising the Stanley Cup banner, which was great. And then my other one was a, a game that I left because the Blues were down to Chicago 3 nothing. Those are the exact two things I wrote down. Really? Gosh, we're simpatico here. <laughs> I, I wrote down the, the Blues raising the banner, and then I thought, Randy might say that's cheating. So I wrote down... The coming back to beat Chicago 4-3 win. And that was the Justin Falk game. It was. Too, where we all thought, yep. wow, this is going to be amazing. He's going to be so great for the Blues. And it's the, even though they weren't great at the time, the Blackhawks, the way they rallied, it was just so typical of this Blues team. That game embodied their resilient mentality. Right. That is one of those games where when we say they're good at winning, that's what we're talking about. Because I gave up on them. I told Curbs, I said, I'm getting out of here. There's nothing for me to do here. It's a Saturday night. And so I think I'm, we were both there. Or is that, was I there with you? I think so, yeah. I, I was going to say, I, I, I You stayed after I did. You, I left before you. Yeah, but, and I didn't stay for the end either. Yeah. I listened on the way home. I did too. And then I raced inside <laughs> and turned on the TV. It was incredible. <laughs> so that was a part of what the Blues did to provide us good effort in 2008, 19, 20. Good job, good effort. Good job. Good job. Good job. Good job. 
And the crowd has gone silent. Certainly disappointment for James, who had 30 points. <laughs> the crowd has gone silent, except for Randy Carricker. Good effort. Good effort. Uh, there were some other really cool moments. David Perron was unbelievable this year. I think David Perron played the best season of hockey in his career this year. I I couldn't argue else otherwise. He was an all-star, and, and he proved it through and through. Yep, the road trip where he had the couple of overtime winners, had four on the season, and that road trip was fun when they had the three-on-O against Vancouver to win that game and Perron's overtime winner against Edmonton. That was a pretty cool road trip, too. Is he your MVP? I would say you almost have to go there. He or O'Reilly, and because of that statistic right there, four overtime game winners... And if you want to include the playoffs, he was their best player in the playoffs. I think I would go with David Perron. I think that's a great call. That's okay. You take David Perron, and I'm happy taking Ryan O'Reilly as my MVP. A regular season, 12 goals, 49 assists. But I think his performance in the bubble, just the way, even when his teammates around him were potentially snoozing at times, he just would not quit. No, his desire in terms of preparing, but then his competitiveness on the ice, a guy that hates losing, is really a valuable asset for this team to have. And if they can't sign Alex Petrangelo and he goes, I have to believe that Ryan O'Reilly will be the next captain. Wouldn't you think? I would think so. Other things, biggest questions heading into the offseason. We talk a lot about Alex Petrangelo, but there are other things. If Petro isn't back, does that back them into a corner in terms of giving... Vince done a contract as a restricted free agent, or do you think that those are two separate entities altogether? I think they're definitely connected, and I think you would probably the way that I looked at what they did with Falk. I think they're going to want some security at some point if he leaves, right? Yeah. The other thing that they have to do, I was talking to a member of the Blues organization about this yesterday, and this is not going to be easy. But Jay Bowmeister was an unusually solid defender and penalty killer. And a big part of the reason the Blues won the Stanley Cup in 2019 is because he was such a great defender and penalty killer against the other team's top line. We love Marco Scandella and what he's capable of doing. Vince Dunn is a nice player. You have Gunnarsson. Hopefully Mikola comes along. They need to find somebody that is a shutdown defender on the left side of that defense. That's something they don't have right now. I don't know if Mikola is that guy, but Scandella, Dunn, Gunnarsson, none of those guys are shutdown defenders on the left side. That's a big question heading yeah. into this this offseason. I think mine, though, Randy, is about Vladimir Tarasenko. Mm-hmm. You all of a sudden went from, okay, he has the shoulder injury. He's going to come back. It might take him a little bit to build up, but eventually we're going to maybe see some flashes of what we know Vladimir Tarasenko can be in this bubble scenario to, uh-oh, he's leaving the bubble. He's going back to St. Louis. He's getting another opinion on that shoulder. It's clearly re in some way. And is this going to be something that plagues him for the remainder of his career, will we ever see him be peak Vladimir Tarasenko again? And if you don't have peak Vladimir Tarasenko, what does that do to the complexity and the dynamics of your team? Right, because you've got Perron, but does that present an opportunity for guys like Kairou and Clem Costin to step up? And Costin, for all the talent, and he's still a really young performer, but he hasn't done it at the pro level yet. So you have to, you're kind of, hoping that Clem Costin turns into a player. You're hoping that Kairou turns into a player. It's another big reason that I think they have to 
focus on making sure that they have Jaden Schwartz for the long term because they don't have many guys that are going to score more than 20 goals. They have Shen. O'Reilly over the course of a regular season is going to be a 20-goal guy. But then Schwartz, he's right there. And I think they need to keep him around. One other question that I think the Blues have to answer, and they might not think they have to answer, but I think they need to choose a goalie. Mm -hmm. I think they have to determine who is your guy. Because, well, Bennington won the cup and got the bulk of the work, and the Blues won a lot of games and did have the best record in the West at the break. And Bennington was the number one guy. But statistically, Jake Allen, who has had his inconsistent moments during the course of his career, Jake Allen was one of the top three or four goalies in the league statistically in the 24 games that he played. I think that's a choice, especially after the performances of both in the bubble that the Blues have to make. And I don't think that's an easy choice. I don't think it's an easy choice either. And it's one, again, that you did not think at this stage of the game that you'd be having to make. You were hoping that that Jordan Bennington would be able to answer every question with an exclamation point the way he did last year. And if you... If you try to sign Petro, are you comfortable in finding a team, maybe the Red Wings, that would take Jake Allen? Are you comfortable in having Jordan Binnington and Ville Husso as your two goalies next year? It's kind of the comfortable you feel when you sit on a roller coaster and the the thing comes down and it locks in. You feel like, okay, I'm going to make it, Uh but it's going to be a ride. You know, this is going to be stressful. And the thing about Jordan Bennington is I am not willing to completely give up on him. When I look at the performances that he would like back in the bubble, it wasn't all his fault. He had some flashes of things that he did really well. But the play in front of him was not that great. And I am not going to assign that much blame to him. Were there things that he could have done better? Of course. Were there times this season where he could have been better? Of course. And he would be the first to tell you that. But I know what he is capable of on the biggest stage. When the pressure is the highest, I know that he can deliver. And here's a guy that has only played 83 NHL games, but those three or four in Edmonton against Vancouver, those are kind of the outlier because ordinarily he's spectacular. But I do think you have to pause and say, okay, what happened? And hope that that was just an outlier and not something where somebody else has found a way to attack Bennington mm-hmm. and where you have to have, especially if you don't have Petro, he's going to have to be spectacular because your defense is not going to be what it was. I don't care who they replace a guy like Alex Petrangelo with, and right now it would be Pareko and Falk because you're number one and two on the right side. But if you have the Blues defensemen right now take the ice the next time they play hockey in front of Jordan Bennington, there's no way that defense will be as good as it was with Alex Petrangelo as part of it. So they're all connected. Yeah, they all are. All these decisions are connected. <laughs> it's tough. It really is. Yeah, good luck, Doug. Yeah. Army. <laughs> you know what? An army we trust, though. We do. He's made some tough decisions that people have questioned before, and they've turned out pretty, pretty well. He's a pretty good evaluator. And here's the thing. We're talking about the next time the Blues take the ice. Army's thinking about 2024, 2025. He's thinking four or five years down the road where decisions have probably already been made and we're thinking about well what's he when he traded for Justin Falk folks 
that was an indicator that he knew what was going to happen with Alex Petrangelo. We should all understand that. He doesn't make decisions in a vacuum. He doesn't decide at the end of a season, oh, yeah, you know what? I, I guess I will sign Alex Petrangelo. That's just not the way he does business. Chess, not checkers. Exactly. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, we've got the fight for you on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Welcome to the fight on Character and Smallman. In the red corner, average Joe listener. And in the blue corner, the undisputed king of morning drive. Please welcome Randy Carricker. Welcome back to Character and Smallman here on 101 ESPN. It is 834. It's time for the fight. Let's welcome in our challenger today. Justin is with us. Good morning, Justin. How are you doing today? Good, Michelle. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Are you ready to take on Randy today? I think as ready as it can be. Awesome. Well, let's rock and roll. Question number one, Justin. How many teams did Mike Matheny play for in his career? Two, three, or four? Uh, Four. All right, question number two for you, Justin. What Kansas City Royals manager made the postseason the most during their tenure? Was it Whitey Herzog, Ned Yost, or Dick Hauser? Um, I will go with, man, Yost didn't have very good years in the middle there. Um, um, I'll still go with Ned Yost. Justin, question number three. How many playoff appearances do the Cardinals have in their history? 28, 29, or 30? Oh, man. Um, I'll say 30. And your final question, Justin. When Mike Matheny managed the Cardinals, how far in the playoffs did his team reach? Was it the NLDS, the NLCS, or did they make it to the World Series? So you're saying just the farthest point they ever made when he was manager? Correct. Yeah, was the World Series. All right. Checking score here. Randy's on his way in. Yeah, I don't think people in St. Louis are going to forget that one. Question number four. I think we'll yeah. remember that. Yeah, we can't get. We can't let you know if you got it right or not. Um, but. <laughs> but I think you know. I think you know I, if you got it right. I felt good on that one. I did. You know what? Okay. Oh, yeah. Randy's coming in. I was just going to say something, but let's not tip our hand here at all. I have, Even though I think he's going to know that one. I have been known to uh, tip my hand a little bit to Randy. So, Randy, say good morning to Justin. Hi, Justin. How are you? Doing great. How are you, Randy? Great. Thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. Question number one, Randy. Yes. How many teams did Mike Matheny play for in his career? He played for the Milwaukee Brewers, the Toronto Blue Jays, the St. Louis Cardinals, and the San Francisco Giants. I would say four. Question number two for you, Randy. What Kansas City Royals manager made the postseason the most during their tenure? I would think it had to be Whitey. He went to three uh, ALCSs in a row. Dick Hauser didn't do that. Yost, he went to the World Series a couple of times. Did he? So he went three, I believe, yeah, because I think they played that game where they beat Oakland. I think that might have been the World Series. Uh, I'm still going to go with uh, Whitey Herzog. Randy, how many playoff appearances do the Cardinals have in their history? 
in the Cardinal. So this includes World Series before we had the regular playoff that started in 1969. Yeah, it's playoff appearances. Okay, um, I'm going to go with 19 World Championships. No, how many? 11 World Championships and eight. So I'm going to go 19. And your final question, Randy, when Mike Matheny managed the Cardinals, how far in the playoffs did uh, his team reach? What was the farthest they reached? Yeah. The 2013 World Series. We've got a winner. We have a winner and still champion, Randy Carricker. Brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Your best choice for quality tires and expert auto service. Dobbs. Close fight today, but sorry, Justin, Randy edged you out three to two. Let's run through the answers here. Mike Matheny played for four teams in his professional career, the Brewers, Cardinals, Blue Jays, and Giants. Whitey Herzog is the Kansas City Royals manager who made the postseason the most during their tenure. Randy was right three times. The Cardinals have 29 playoff appearances. I was doing World Series appearances, so that was why I messed that up. I could see it on your face that you wanted that one back, Randy. I understand. Um, And Mike Matheny did go to the World Series during his tenure with the Cardinals as their manager. He lost to the Boston Red Sox in 2013 in six games. We we remember. Justin, (laughs) thank you so much for playing. Have a good day. Yeah, thanks, guys. You too. All right. Thank you, Justin. Great to have you with us on 101 ESPN. We are going to talk to Denny Matthews, the veteran Royals play-by-play man, coming up in just a few minutes. Later on today, of course, you'll hear from Rivs and BK and then the Fast Lane. I think BT is doing the game tonight, so he yeah, he is doing the game. So if he's here for the Fast Lane, it won't be the whole show. But speaking of the Fast Lane, this week, Grilling at Home at 101ESPN.com with Brad Barnes, who is a great griller and understands cooking, and Chris Ranji, who understands nothing about grilling or cooking. So this should be an entertaining feature for you at 101ESPN.com. Check out the video. See meat. and If your name is meat, you totally. have to know how to grill, right? Totally. You know what you're doing yeah. with some tongs in your hand if your nickname is meat. So they're going to do steaks and hot dogs. Yum. Grilling at home with 101ESPN, courtesy of Budweiser, the ultimate grilling companion this summer. Stock up today and buy Schnooks as well. Get everything you need for your backyard summer grilling at Schnooks. I can't wait to check that out. We've done pretty well. I'm impressed by the grilling abilities of the 101 ESPN team. You're just being kind because, you know, my dad and my uncle did it for me. That was strong. No, you were spectacular. (laughs) I did flip it once. I I, did flip the steak once. You're right. I want to do BK's meatball sandwich. It looked delicious. So some insider info here. If you haven't had, if you haven't seen the grilling at home features on 101 ESPN.com, be sure to check it out. But when... Ben, who does the videos here, came to shoot my video. He had come from recently shooting um, BK's video, and he told me that those meatball subs smelled so good that his mouth was watering. He goes, I'm a vegetarian, and I almost cheated because they smelled (laughs) so good. So you definitely want to try that one out. I will definitely do that. And, of course, your carrot cake. The carrot cake was fun, and I did also the three cheese mac and cheese. Oh, yeah. But I didn't give the—I don't think I gave the recipe on mine. I'll put the recipe on social media somewhere for the three cheese mac and cheese. Yeah, you need to do that. It's easy and fun and good and really good for you. Every Anytime you can get cheese and macaroni combined, it's if you're on a diet, like it's like the best thing for you. Sounds great. See? We are health conscious here at Carriker and Smallman. What's healthier than three cheese...
mac and cheese, and a carrot cake. Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> Coming up, we're going to talk some Royals baseball with Denny Matthews next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. With Michelle Smallman, I'm Randy Character. Great to have you with us on 101 ESPN. The Cards and Royals play the second of three tonight at Bush Stadium after the Cardinals won the opener last night. And we head to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. And a veteran Royals play-by-play man, Denny Matthews, the Hall of Famer, kind enough to join us before actually starting with the Royals in Kansas City way back in 1969. Denny spent some time working here in St. Louis as well. Denny Matthews, great to have you with us on 101 ESPN in St. Louis. How are you doing this morning? Hi, Randy. Hi, Michelle. Doing fine. Thanks. Good. Hey, let's start with this. Uh, what do you recall about your days working here in St. Louis? Well, I worked at X TV. It was um, a weekend gig, actually. It was Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and I was commuting. I grew up in Bloomington Normal, up in central Illinois, and I would commute. And uh, it was fun, and it was just shortly after I started that, I think it only lasted four or five months, I got the job with the Royals. Wow, Denny, so many people within baseball have roots here in St. Louis in broadcasting in one way or another. And it seems like, especially in those those prime years of KMOX, there's there's just tentacles all over sports broadcasting coming from KMOX. Yeah, it's amazing. And also Peoria, Illinois. Mm-hmm. And I worked there for a year and a half. Before I started down in St. Louis before I went to Kansas City. So you're right. It's uh, There's something about the Illinois... Missouri, Central, Midwest, at, uh, but specifically St. Louis, Peoria, Chicago seem to uh, grow some pretty decent sports announcers. And you are a Hall of Famer. Denny, this has been such a strange year, obviously, for broadcasters. Take us through what you guys are doing in Kansas City. Well, I'm doing the games from the comfort of my easy chair here in the house. And never in my wildest dreams did I ever think that that would be a possibility. But I do recall being in Pittsburgh with the Royals about five or six years ago, and it's a beautiful ballpark. But the press area, the broadcast, and the writers are literally on the roof. And I remember that night, that was the first night that the Royals had played in that ballpark, and about halfway through the game I said, I think I could have done a better job of broadcasting tonight's game if I'd stayed in the hotel and done it from the TV. And that seemed to put a little spark in my head because I kept thinking, I wonder how possible that would be if, uh, you know, if I broke my ankle and I couldn't move around, if I could do, still do the games from, from my house on the TV. Well, it's come to reality. It's very, very different. <laughs> the other two guys that I work with on the radio are at the ballpark for both home and road games. I think that's pretty much a standard setup now because, as you guys know, none of the TV crews, broadcast radio crews are are traveling. So everybody has their own method. And uh, this is working out pretty good for me because I'm saving a lot of money on gas driving back and forth to the ballpark. I don't have to shave every day. <laughs> and, and I don't have to eat the ballpark food. So <laughs> there, there are some pluses to it. And I imagine the chair's more comfortable too, right? <laughs> oh, absolutely. No doubt about it. Denny, has uh, the process of doing the games from your, your recliner in your house become normalized to you yet? Uh, not totally, Michelle. It's, uh, it's still different, and I'm still in fear of runners on first and second, a ball hit to the gap in the outfield, 
And when I'm at the ballpark, obviously, I can pick things up instantly, one second to the next second, because you have to look at the outfielders, you have to look at the cutoff man, you have to look at the base runners, you have to figure out where the throw from the cutoff man is going. Well, TV can't show you all those things in a split second that I can see with my eyes when I'm at the ballpark. So I I guess I have to kind of use my experience and feel for the game to try to figure out where the throw might be going, to try to figure out where the runners are. But that's the, that's the problem. The TV can show you only one thing, and I'm beholden to what I'm seeing on the screen. So I think what you have to do is, is bite your tongue a little bit, hold back. You, I want to be instantaneous when I describe a play. I think all broadcasters are that way, but you can't do that now with the TV because you've got to hold back and just confirm what you thought, and now the picture is there, and, and you can confirm that what you thought is, is what actually happened. But that's, the, that's really the only problem. You get a great look at the pitches from the center field camera, so that's a big, big plus. And there are other pluses, but there, there are minuses too. The longtime voice of the Royals, Denny Matthews, with us on 101 ESPN. Denny, you've had the pleasure of working with a lot of great managers over the years. Obviously, Whitey Herzog, Ned Yost did a fantastic job, Dick Hauser. What are your early impressions of Mike Matheny and the managing job he's doing with the Royals? Well, so far, high marks. He's been terrific. I, I really like him. I got to know him when he was managing the Cardinals and, and playing for the Cardinals a little bit, but certainly not to the depth that I know him now. But he's, well, number one, he's a terrific guy, and I think everybody knows that. He's done a very good job as managing, uh, totally prepared when he came to spring training. The players love him, and that's a huge first step. Uh, very organized, uh, everything's detailed and well thought out, and I'd, I would give him an A right now for sure. What do you think, Denny, the identity of a Mike Matheny Royals team is going to be? Hopefully, smart, prepared, competitive, and grind it out. And they have done that. I think even the young players are beginning to understand that on the major league level, you have to be all those things, and you just have to get to the ballpark every day, do your pregame work, go into the game with that competitive attitude, be aggressive, but be smart about it, and uh, see what happens. And it's it's pretty evident, I think, with the young players how uh, how impressed they are with how Mike has treated them. He's uh, The one thing about Whitey Herzog that was so impressive was his ability to communicate with his players. And I'm talking about the 23rd, 24th, 25th player on the roster. He would visit individually on the field during batting practice every day. And he would make the 24th and 25th players on the roster feel as important as the eight or nine guys in the starting lineup. And that was the genius of Whitey Herzog. Not only that, but Whitey, I don't think I ever saw him get outmanaged. He was always an inning or two ahead of the other guy in the other dugout. And his ability to communicate, his ability to feel the game as a manager was uh, non-parial. And Denny, it's interesting 
Ricky Horton, one of the Cardinal broadcasters now, says that when he was pitching, he knew when he woke up in the morning what the situation would be that he would come into a game. Everybody had a role. And you mentioned the communication. I can't tell you how many times, and I'm sure you saw this too, you'd run into Whitey after a game and he'd go up to a player and say, hey, you're starting tomorrow. So that communication was there and the player knew exactly where he stood and what his job was going to be day to day. Yeah, and he was also very good. I I remember a funny story. We had a utility infielder named Dave Nelson, and uh, Whitey needed another pitcher, a lefty, preferably in the bullpen, for a particular two- or three-week period. So he went up to Davey Nelson before a game, and he said, Davey, I want you to pull a hamstring out there during batting practice. We'll put you on the DL for a while so I can get my left-handed pitcher. So Whitey was always two or three steps ahead of everybody else. He's something. Danny, another person that we're familiar with here in St. Louis is Trevor Rosenthal, and he looks like he's back to the Trevor Rosenthal that we saw here during his prime in St. Louis. How do you think he was able to revive his career? Well, I think it was two things, Michelle. I think it was, number one, physically, and he's throwing as well as he did, and between the ears has been great. I mean, he's got a great attitude. He came to spring training with that. He's from this area, as you guys know, Lee Summit, a suburb of KC. And, uh, yeah, he's just been terrific. He got, you know, he gave up a home run a couple of days ago, and that was really the first first glitch on his record. But he's just been outstanding. Fastball is moving, and he's commanding it well. His changeup has been very good. He's ended a couple of games with a changeup, but um, struck out, I don't know who it was, but it's maybe two weeks ago he threw a changeup to end the game. And a guy's obviously expecting a fastball or a slider. But, uh, yeah, he's been very good. Denny, you have seen rebuilds that didn't work. You've seen rebuilds that resulted in world championships. So you know what a successful rebuild looks like. What does this one look like for you? Do you do you think that the Royals are on the right path here? I think so. Uh, yeah, rebuilds, you put a number on it, I'm going to say, not next year, but the year after, the Royals can be truly competitive. Now, that's assuming that you don't have serious injuries with uh, key players or young players. How do the young players develop? And uh, that's always the key. You you see a guy's athletic ability. Uh, you see a guy, when he comes to the major leagues, what he can do, what he can't do. But when they develop and they get better and better, then you're on your way. If the young players get to the big leagues, well, one of three things happens when a young player gets to the big leagues. He gets better, he gets worse, or he stays the same. Two of those three aren't going to help you. But when your young players develop, get better and better, then they embrace the team concept, then they figure out what it takes to win. And then as, as an individual, I come to the big leagues. What are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? If I'm 5'9 and 175, I'm probably not going to hit 43 home runs a year. So I've got to figure out what my skills are and when I incorporate my skills into each game, what can I do to help the team? Is it a defensive play? Is it a base running play? Is it getting three hits? Then those players with that concept and that knowledge of what they can do, and then when it all is embraced in a team concept, then that's a very good competitive baseball team. Last one from me, Denny. We have the trade deadline approaching fast. How do you think the Royals are going to approach the trade deadline? Do you think they're going to be active? I think someone would have to come to Dayton Moore, the general manager, with a deal that would kind of knock his socks off because I think he's really right now training his thoughts on the young players and developing the team. 
uh, all the things that I just talked about, how a rebuild is done successfully. So, Michelle, I'd be surprised if the Royals are active. Uh, Like I said, if somebody comes and says, here's three players that are guaranteed big leaguers in two years, then he might do something. Denny Matthews, great to hear your voice. Thanks so much for taking some time with us. We appreciate it, and enjoy the rest of the series from uh, that Barca lounger. (laughs) Thanks, guys. It's been fun. Thank you. Take care. That is Denny Matthews, who became the voice of the Royals when they started playing Kansas City in 1969 and has been the voice of the Royals ever since. Incredible. Yeah. Three people have had play-by-play jobs for more than a half century with their teams. Vin Scully, Jaime Harin with the Dodgers, and Denny Matthews. Pretty select company there. Absolutely. Coming up next on 101 ESPN, when you win baseball games, you need great performances, and the Cardinals got some last night. Plus, Blues have a pretty tough offseason coming up. We'll tell you why next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> The Cardinals rolled last night 9-3, to and Michelle, a couple of dominant performances for the Cardinals. Actually, more than that, but Paul Goldschmidt, 3-for-4, a couple of runs scored, three RBIs. His batting average now 368, a 507 on base, and a 561 slug. So offensively, it was a great night for Goldie. And Jack Flaherty still dealing with pitch limits through 64 last night, but he went five innings. He allowed one hit, struck out three and reduced his earned run average to 1.98. That's a pretty good way to start if you want to pick up a victory. Yeah, other than maybe what, one Alex Reyes pitch last night, yep. it was it was a game where you didn't really want anything back. That was an unbelievable performance by the Cardinals last night. Really fun game to watch. And those are the performances you're going to need out of your big star players to continue moving this thing forward. You need Jack Flaherty to be as sharp as he was last night as he continues to build up those numbers. And you need Paul Goldschmidt to continue being Paul Goldschmidt. Because as we talked about at the top of the show, Randy, he is a force multiplier. When this guy is on, the team finds success. Not only do you need Goldschmidt to continue to be Goldschmidt, but you need uh, Brad Miller to continue to be Scott <laughs> Rowland. Yeah. How unbelievable has he been? <laughs> He's fantastic. He's hitting 367 now with wow. a 633 slug. Just keeps producing. Yep, And you love him at the top of the lineup. And he loves hitting, and we'll hear from him in just a few minutes, because he loves hitting in front of Paul Goldschmidt. But manager Mike Schilt talked last night after the game about Goldschmidt, and not just last night's game, but his overall approach. Yeah, it's an anchor all the way. Uh, I mean, you're talking about consistent quality of at bat, clarity to plan, and um, execution to plan. Just, you know, pros pro, cross, cross the, you know, Spectrum and clearly um, taking elite bats. When you have guys like Dylan Carlson and Harrison Bader and Tyler O'Neill, and even to an extent people like Colton Wong and uh, Paul DeYoung, it's great to have a, a guy who's a five-time Gold Glove winner, a multiple-time All-Star, like Paul Goldschmidt, working like he does every day and 
doesn't even have to say anything to the kids. They see what it takes to become great. He sets the tone. They follow suit. And you mentioned Harrison Bader. We didn't have even really touched on Harrison Bader yet and how he's been performing the past few games. He almost had his third home run in as many right. games last night, and I loved how he didn't like the uh, hit-by-pitch from Holland, and then he steals on him. I, I loved that that aggressiveness from him. Yeah, that attitude yes. is, I'm going to get you. And I wonder, when you talk about aggressiveness, you talk about attitude, I really do wonder how that dropped ball on Friday night has affected him I because agree. he's looked like a different player. He really has. As we mentioned then, it might be a, and this is not the way that I'm going to be remembered, too afraid to fail type situation. He took accountability. He did the Zoom call and said, hey, mm-hmm. my bad. I have to catch that ball. And I wonder if that's something where you hit a certain point where you kind of have nothing to lose. And so you just go out there, you free your mind a little bit. Right. And I think him stealing that baseline Last night just highlighted the confidence that we're seeing out of him right now. And a confident Harrison Bader is a good thing for this team. It sure is. Michelle, you and I heard for years from Chris Duncan what a pleasure it was to hit in front of Albert Pujols. When somebody was struggling, Tony would put that hitter in front of Albert Pujols, hitting in the two-hole. And Dunk said it was the easiest job in the world. And when you have a hot Paul Goldschmidt, right now, Brad Miller is the guy hitting second in front of him, and he's experiencing the same sorts of pitches. Yeah, the big fundy. He's he's a lot of fun. Um, Obviously, you know, Colt the other night, too, getting on in front of me. Um, You know, Tommy a couple times tonight. I think, you know, it's uh, definitely a lot of fun. you know, kind of being sandwiched in there. But, you know, it's, uh, like I said, I think we're just fun. That I think we're just enjoying being out there. Of course, when you're playing with the big fundamental, it makes big, a difference. The big fundy. How could you not like it in front of him? <laughs> what a great nickname. And I love a glimmer of the fact that they're having fun. Yeah. That it seems like this team has found a Look rhythm. how much fun Goldie's having. Yes, they're having a great he time. He his top button. Oh, which is wild. I mean, yeah. he needs to cool it a little you know come on come on (laughs) unbuttoning that top button but this is kind of what we talked about when the cardinals finally returned from the COVID outbreak guys love playing baseball and they kind of went into this saying hey we aren't counting ourselves out and we're just going to go out there and we're going to have fun and you love to see that and we always hear about the cardinals clubhouse culture and the identity of this team but we're seeing it right now Mm -hmm. we're seeing what mike schultz and the cardinals organization has instilled within this team and well the Cardinals are having fun. It appears the Blues did not have an awful lot of fun in the bubble in Edmonton before losing in six games to Vancouver. Not great. No, and I have to believe, and we mentioned this yesterday, that when you have a veteran group of players, you have a lot of guys in their late 20s and 30s that have little kids, that there is less interest than there would be on the part of a team like Vancouver, who has a ton of young kids and don't have many families. And by the way, I thought before all of this started, I said it, I kind of lost faith in them, but I, I, I was really scared of Dallas. And now look what Dallas is doing. They're up 2 0 on Colorado. They look great. Yeah. So who thought that was going to happen? But <laughs> the Blues all of a sudden get to an early off season and they have a lot of things that they have to decide. And Doug Armstrong, I believe, is going to talk to the media tomorrow uh, about the end of the season and they have their exit interviews. But with the brevity of this offseason and with the salary cap staying flat for next season and not knowing how much money you're going to make, we don't know if they're going to have fans in the stands. I think this is really a hard offseason. There's a season of not much 
knowledge about what's coming down the pike for the Blues? Last offseason, it was, oh, there's going to be a short turnaround, a lot of mm-hmm. distractions. Is that going to potentially disrupt the Blues and what they have going here? Now, all of a sudden, you have a plethora of questions that you're facing. And while you know this team certainly still does have a lot of pieces, a lot of those pieces are question marks now. You don't know about the future of some guys. You don't know about the health of other guys. You don't know about the consistency of of other big pieces. It's almost as if every guy, save a few, has a question mark surrounding them right now. And you have about $2 million in salary cap space. You have Petro as a UFA. You have Dunn as a restricted free agent. And obviously, if you want to keep Petrangelo, then you've got deals, too. And I don't believe that the grounds groundwork for deals has been made. So not only will you have to work hard, but you'll have to work fast if you're Doug Armstrong, if you want to make substantial changes in terms of substantially keeping your team together to keep Petrangelo. He's got a lot of work ahead of him. He does. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. It's Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. More hockey with Greg Wyshynski from ESPN.com. He is next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Michelle Smallman, Randy Character on 101 ESPN. And right now at ESPN.com, Greg Wyshynski, ESPN senior hockey writer, ESPN.com senior hockey writer, has a stock watch for all 24 teams in the bubble. And as we go to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line and welcome... Greg Wyshynski to Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN in St. Louis. Uh, Greg, we can tell you that here in St. Louis, in terms of a stock watch, we're in a depression. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was going to say it's, 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 it's a, a stock watch for teams uh, inside and outside the bubble. Unfortunately, the, uh, the Blues being uh, outside of the bubble now. But, uh, but yeah, it's, um, it, it's, it's been interesting to see how quickly dynamics can shift in these series i mean you know i i think that like everybody else you look at what happened in games uh, three and four of that series against vancouver and you're saying to yourself boy we're on our way you know <laughs> they they were played incredibly well in those two games um and then uh the series just kind of shifts on a dime and uh, all of a sudden it's it's over uh two games later it's it's remarkable to see how quickly the, the uh, dynamics can change not only in a playoff series but in this kind of playoff series so, Greg, help us with the diagnosis. What went wrong? <laughs> they couldn't find their game. I mean, for whatever reason, I don't know if it was the pause and just having, you know, my, my pet theory is that it's such a veteran team that, uh, you know, asking them to play as much hockey as they did through games, the final possible game in a cup final. And then, you know, the regular season starts, they're going well, they're winning the West. And then you hit pause for four months, and now you got to restart again. And it's just like, it was a lot to kind of just recalibrate the internal clocks if you're one of these veteran players. But, you know, they, they, they didn't have the same sort of rolling four lines vibe that they had last season. They certainly didn't have that, uh, that ability to put losses behind them and put adversity behind them that we saw all through the cup run, which was such a hallmark. And I think, you know, one of the reasons why that became such a hallmark was Jordan Bennington and, and his unique ability to be just a stone cold killer in, in that crease, forget about what happened in the previous game, come back and give them everything that they need to get over a loss. And, and that clearly didn't happen this time. And I, you know, I, I listen, you don't want to jump to conclusions about anybody 
not performing up to standards inside this bubble. It's an extraordinarily unique situation. It's going to affect people in different ways, both mentally and physically. Um, but it's clear that the Jordan Bennington that we saw in this postseason was not the Jordan Bennington that we saw last postseason or even this regular season. He was he was not good, and uh, and it ended up being something that really hurt them in the end. Greg Wyshynski, ESPN.com, with us on 101 ESPN. So with that playoff performance of Bennington and really the regular season performance, Greg, of both Bennington and Allen, we've kind of assumed here that Allen would get moved during this offseason. Do you think that might put some pause on that thought process? I mean, logic would dictate it would. Um, you know, and it's funny, if you track back to when Bennington signed that contract, that bridge contract, I mean, it was sort of a, a two-way street as far as, you know, show us what you got. I, I think that Bennington, you know, took the deal uh, betting on himself that he was going to be able to parlay that into something much larger uh, in, in two years. And then the Blues are obviously like, well, this is, <laughs> we, we, we've seen this story before where a goalie goes on an incredible tear through his, you know, first time through the league. And then you commit long-term to the guy and then he doesn't repeat the performance at any point during that long-term contract. So I think in the blues case, this was sort of what probably what Doug Armstrong in in the back of his mind, you know, obviously not hoping that it would happen. I mean, it's it's definitely a a discouraging thing, but in the back of his mind, he's probably thinking, you know, this is the thing that could happen where all of a sudden we go to the postseason and, and he can't, you know, recapture the magic, you know, lightning doesn't re-enter the bottle and, and then what do you have? Um, it's going to be really interesting to see how Bennington bounces back from this. I mean, if, if there's any kind of hangover or, or deleterious effect from this performance next regular season, um, it, 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 it could definitely affect his future in St. Louis. Greg, speaking of future in St. Louis, there's a long list of questions here, but Alex Petrangelo is at the top there. What's your, your initial reaction? Do you think Petro is back with the Blues? Yeah, my initial reaction was those are some uncomfortable press conferences that <laughs> <laughs> yeah. we watched as they were leaving, man. I mean, there was a lot of sort of just like, I don't know, you listen to Petro talk and it's it's one of those deals where it almost feels, and this is just complete, you know, amateur psychoanalyst here, but like, it feels like somebody trying to will a situation into happening. You know, like like the numbers are what they are. The situation is what it is. He's as old as he is. He obviously wants to stay. I mean, you know, from a familial standpoint, he clearly, you know, loves being a blue and loves, you know, being in St. Louis. But, you know, the economics of the sport are the economics of the sport. And, you know, on top of the Blues cap situation, uh, you have a, a, a deal now where teams are just bleeding money left and right uh, because of the pandemic. And we don't even know what the situation is going to be next year as far as fans being in the stands and everything else. So you have a sort of hockey economic thing with the cap, and then you have the cash flow economic thing so i mean is there a path to him staying in st louis absolutely uh but is there also a path where he walks out the door and have some has somebody give him the contract he's probably worth on the open market versus what the blues can maybe afford to give him i think that's absolutely true as well the the cap being flat and the economics changing for this league in a lot of places are going to affect the middle class more than they're going to affect a guy like peter angelo who in the eyes of a lot of teams, uh, could be like sort of that last piece of a championship puzzle. The, the number one defenseman with Stanley Cup experience is a, the rarest of rare commodities in this league. And if he hits the open market, he's going to find someone to pay him. Uh, I'm just not convinced it's going to be the Blues. And, Greg, along those lines then, if he does leave, are the Blues still a Stanley Cup contender? 
That's a good question. I'm, I mean, in theory, <laughs> like, um, you know, you're, you're going to need some things to kind of reverse course from this season. You're going to need Bennington to be Bennington or, or Allen to ascend to the crease um, and, and be, you know, a, a better starter than he was in his first run. I mean, you're going to need all four lines to, to get going at the same time. Um, and it's a veteran team, but it's not a veteran team that I think is necessarily aged out of its window yet. And when you have, you know, someone like Ryan O'Reilly, who has clearly ascended to the point where, um, think, think, think about how special O'Reilly is for a second. <laughs> he's, he's a guy who can exert his will and, um, and shut down another team's offense, but also be good enough offensively where other teams have the game plan around him. That's what happened to the Canucks in those two games of the series. That's a, that's a very rarefied error. For a player to be in, and and they've got one of those guys right now. So, if you've got one of those guys, I mean, I'm, I'm giving you a puncher's chance in any playoff that you're in. But everything else that kind of went sideways for them in this playoff run will have to sort of reverse course. I don't think that their window is closed if Petro leaves. It becomes harder to win. Um, but I also think that keeping him at a certain price point might handcuff them in the future as far as trying to be a contender again. And I guess the other question here is because we were so disappointed in Justin Falk. Does he have the upside to be a legit number two behind Pareko? Because we didn't see it. Yeah, he's, he's served the role before. Um, I, I do think that it, it is, I, and I thought this at the time, and I still think at the time, I don't quite get the idea of immediately signing a guy to a deal after you acquire him like that. I mean, you do it in very special situations like the Vegas Golden Knights when they traded for Mark. So can he be a, a good number two defenseman? I mean, sure. I mean, he sort of served that role in Carolina, but by no means is he an Alex Petrangelo replacement. Um, and uh, by no means was he the kind of player that I would have sort of jumped on to uh, extend as quickly as they did. Greg, we're just kind of running through our list of blues questions here with you. And one of the, the questions we certainly have is about Vladimir Tarasenko after he left the bubble because of that shoulder injury. Again, a lot of people here wondering if we're ever going to be able to see peak Vladimir Tarasenko again. And if the blues don't, how does that change the dynamic and complexities of this team? Uh, it, 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 it seriously impacts them. I think one of the more remarkable stories of the year was the fact that they were able to do what they did without him being healthy because I mean, he's such an integral part of that team and what they do and, and one of the elite goal scorers in this league. So you hope that whatever has happened with that shoulder is something that they can kind of figure out over the next few months and give him time, give him rest, and, and hopefully it's something that can heal because he's a very special player um, and obviously a really big part of, of the plans going forward. I mean, he's, he t- you know, it's one thing to take him out of the lineup and not have him, which is, you know, seriously impacting them in that Vancouver series. It was another thing to have him just be, you know, like a non-playable character for a couple of games. <laughs> I think he was a, a liability. Craig Berube, I, I remember asking Craig Berube, Berube about that, and, and he was, you know, defending his guy a little bit. But it was pretty clear that he was a liability because of his health situation. So you need to get him healthy and, uh, and get him back on the ice and then hopefully uh, back to being one of the more elite goal scorers in his league. Greg, before we let you go, injury is always a factor when you get to this time of year, and the Grubauer, Grubauer injury appears to be devastating for Colorado. And at the same time, Vegas appears to be a steamroller. Yeah, you know, the Franchot was a good goalie for them in the regular season when Grubauer was hurt. I still think he's a good goalie. I think he does some things that actually might benefit them in the series ultimately. 
Um, but it, it may not matter, A, if Colorado can't find that special gear that championship teams have. And I think the Blues exhibited it best last year of being able to overcome adversity and, and keep yourself mentally into situations. Because now through two games, you know, they've had three, diff- they've had three injuries. They had a game two that kind of went off the rails because of some specious calls. And they kind of checked out. I mean, they didn't really, you know, rally around any of that stuff. And that's kind of a disturbing trend. But more disturbing is the fact that all of a sudden this Dallas team there, we thought it was going to be a snooze fest. has got 17 goals in the last three games. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're they coming at them in waves. And, and Rick Bonus, their, their coach last night, I think, said something that was really interesting, which is, you know, when they score a goal, their mentality is not to sit on the lead. Their mentality is to score another and another and another. And, and he literally said, attack, 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 like he was you know, General Patton last night. <laughs> and, uh, and I think that's, you could see that. You could see that from that team. I mean, you know, they're scoring goals in bunches, and I think it's very much because of that mindset that they have. Greg, we always love hearing your voice. We always love your work at ESPN.com, and we appreciate you taking some time with us this morning. Thank you very much. Anytime. Thanks for having me. All right. See you. That's Greg Wyshynski, ESPN.com. Good stuff here on Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Coming up, we're going to head back to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. The manager of the Kansas City Royals, Mike Matheny, is next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. That's Michelle Smallman. I'm Randy Carricker. It is 101 ESPN. And we head now to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line as the Cardinals and Royals get ready for the second of a three-game series tonight. We welcome the manager of the Royals, the former Cardinal skipper and player and friend, Mike Matheny, to 101 ESPN. Michael, it is great to have you with us. How are you doing this morning? Doing great, Randy. How about you? Everything is is good. I'm I'm a morning guy now. I know you've always <laughs> been a morning guy and you've handled it well, but I, I'm handling it surprisingly well. You know what? Um, yeah, I, I I love the the mornings and uh, especially here in the Midwest. Uh, just uh, get get the day going early and um, hopefully you can uh, sleep well after a good night. And I can't say we had one of those last night from the Kansas City Royals side, but uh, slept pretty good anyhow. Ready to get after it again today. Mike, you took over a veteran team and always seemed to have a pretty substantial veteran presence with Yachty and, and Wayno, and for a time you had Beltron and, and Berkman and Holiday. This is a much younger team than you've ever managed before. How is that different? I've I, I loved it, Randy. Um, been able to teach, uh, got a, a hungry group. I, I don't know if you could walk into a better um, situation maybe than, than what I did. And that may surprise some people because, you know, this team's lost a hundred games for two seasons in a row, but you know, it, it, it was a, it, it, it is a talented group that was at that point of realizing, you know what, we are way better than this. And also at that frustration level of you know, this can't be what's acceptable. And that's coming from ownership. That's coming from, uh, our general manager date more and especially from the players. So the, the conversations that happened from day one were, all right, what do we got to do to get better? What do we got to do to be relevant and, and get that winning culture? There's a really good culture already in place as far as organizational culture. But the next step is how do we get that clubhouse culture, believing in the, each other, believing in themselves to where that's translated into wins. And, uh, our guys have, have really bought in. I mean, from the day one of spring training, it was let, let, all right. If we're serious, let's get after it. We got some things we really got to work on, and not once have they budged or, or fought back. And it's just been okay. What else we need to do? And that's a that's a dream. When you have talented players, if you're a coach, if you have talented players 
that are that are really driven and want to see that next level. That's exactly where you want to be. And I'm sure, Mike, that sense of urgency that you described within your team is helpful, especially in a short season, a 60-game season like this. But what's been the uh, the thing maybe that you've had to adjust the most as you approach a shorter season like this? Yeah, I think everybody's just taking what they believe is normal and throwing it completely out the door. And, and every day when you show up, realizing that what you've grown accustomed to is what might look like Major League Baseball. It's not going to be the same. And so it's it's kind of uh, trying to take that and, and realize that let's just try and make this an advantage for us somehow because there are going to be teams that sneak in there. And it, it's amazing. As few wins as we have right now in, in the win column, uh, we're still right in the middle of this. And you got an opportunity that if you – if you stay the course and then you, you uh, avoid the distractions. So, so much of what we do is avoiding the distractions, keeping our players in, in, in check and keeping them in place to where uh, they don't let the little things get in the way of, of the big things. And, and uh, there's an opportunity for that every single day, almost every moment of every day, if you allow yourself to kind of go down that road. And, and then obviously the distractions of what you know the Cardinals have gone through here. We went through it early on in our summer camp with, with, uh, with the COVID and trying to fight back from not having a third of our team, basically, when we started even the season where guys weren't completely healthy. And so there's all these different things that keep popping up, uh, new protocol every single time we go on the road, something else the guys can't do. Um, and, you know, we're talking 20-somethings that have an active social life and how can we keep them living life but uh, protecting themselves and protecting the game because that's really what we are right now is torchbearers for the game of baseball to try and figure out how to keep this thing going for the good of our fans and for the good of the game. Mike Matheny is with us on 101 ESPN. And Mike, I know from a a micro view how reflective you are on a game-to-game basis after every game, win or loss. But I want to take a look at the macro view. After your time in St. Louis ended, when you reflected and decided to to change, what were the biggest things that you wanted to take into your next managerial job that maybe you you didn't have here? Well, I... I, I think, Randy, uh, I don't think I know, um, you know, that process was happening from day one. And from day one, being able to, to be blessed with the opportunity to manage uh, here in St. Louis, um, day two, I knew there was things I needed to do different day one. And, and, I, and it was a, a constant evolution. And so if there was this major overhaul thing that I had to do after my, my time here, then that means I wasn't making a lot of those incremental changes along the way. But what I really wanted to do was take a little time, uh, breathe, and uh, catch my catch my wind a little, because uh, you know that that's uh, that's always a, a tough adjustment. And people who've been through that major job change understand that, like, okay, wow, what just happened? What what uh, what do I got to do to make sure that doesn't happen again? And and then trusting some people, and then uh, having a, a great network of support. Of all right, here are some of the things that uh, that, that we consistently made here that uh, need to be worked on and let's start looking at those and then tackling them see which ones have some real teeth to them um, and then put a plan together whether they're perceived or it's reality let's talk these through figure out if there's some gaps and some holes I always like using the term blind spots what are my blind spots and, and obviously if it weren't a blind spot uh, you, you would know about it but have some people that I trust help me figure out how I can be better and, and then once again get back to the why and the why is um, to, to, to be as good as I can be to help these players be as good as they can be and then help create that atmosphere and that winning tradition um, and then make the difference in people's lives and so 
Randy, that's a, a long answer because it was a long process and uh, trying to continue to do that each day. I don't want to wait six years and then make some overhaul. And, and that really wasn't the plan before either. I just want to try and head things off of the past before uh, before we, we lose an opportunity to do something really special. I do think it's interesting. Before the last couple of years, Davey Martinez wins the World Series last year, Alex Cora the year before that. But we had a stretch of about 30 years where the only first-time managers with their teams to win the World Series were Ozzie Guillen and Mike Sosha. So there must be something about learning the first time to be better the second time. Yeah, I think there's there's definitely something about that. And um, once again, I think having that time to maybe step away, uh, never something that you asked for, but uh, grateful for it when you realize, you know, I had a, a great time to reflect and, and, uh, and also invest into myself, invest into the people I care most about. But, um, okay, here, here's some things that I know if I get this opportunity again. And, and I think you also have that urgency of, man, it, it, and Randy, it took me about two days to realize just how much I love managing. And it was hard to, to really explain it to people of the why. Uh, just It just seemed like what I was supposed to be doing and, and knew that if I ever got the opportunity to do it again, um, to make sure I'm doing a couple things. And one is um, savoring the wins as much as I, I, I suffer the losses. And uh, that, that's something that, especially on teams that aren't throwing up a ton of wins, uh, you make sure that that happens, not just in my own life, but that, that's reflected also into the players. But, um, you know, just taking the, the urgency of how much of a gift it is each day we get to be able to be out on that field and, and making the most of it once again, not just for wins and losses, but trying to impact people for good. Mike, speaking of that, one of the features that Randy and I do on the show every Friday is called The Peak and the Pit, where we look at the highs and the lows of the week. And like any experience, I'm sure your chapter managing the Cardinals had highs and lows. So as you reflect back, is there one moment that you will always look at as the highest of highs and one that is a low that you might want back? Well, I'd say the the highest of highs is is a win and a pennant and almost in the same breath. Uh, losing the World Series, but uh, helping this team um, continue to go on. And 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 I would say even early on, um, the highs were, were being able to, to to be honored with the opportunity to walk in and manage this team right after winning um, the World Series in 2011 and realizing what a special group of guys and what they were able to accomplish in 11 uh, to be able to jump into that seat and, and then try to continue to help that move forward and um, and and let them experience what they had been accustomed to, which is winning, and uh, to be able to kind of keep that moving forward. But, you know, every loss, uh, but especially those ones in the postseason when you get so close and you have a team that wins 100 games um, and then you're not able to finish that off, same thing kind of goes from my playing career, highlight, playing in the World Series, low light would have been getting swept by the Boston Red Sox in 04. I mean, it's the, the agony of, of defeat, unfortunately, in this game just seems to always trump all the, the successes that you do have. A couple more quick things for Mike Matheny, the manager of the Royals. Mike, I read the story about how you uh, in, initiated yourself and ingrained yourself in analytics, and you played for Tony LaRusso, who always said, men, not machines, and I know you believe in that. You, you're all about... The, the human condition in a clubhouse. But what did that teach you as you try to meld analytics with the human aspect of the game when you took that course? It was really just trying to make connections, um, made some uh, some really good, met some really good people who are inside the game that do this for a living. I, one, I, asked, I asked one of them who's actually the teacher of the course as we made a relationship, like, hey, break me down. I had, I've had this done 
internally from the organization, but from uh, an outsider's view, break me down analytically as far as decision-making, as far as uh, just how the game is evaluating managers. I think that was only fair to ask. And so we spent some time going through that, and then it was, all right, what's next as the game's moving forward? What's on the horizon? What's what's going to be out there that we can do differently? And so taking that perspective was, was one of those things as we were going through, you know, what are some of the, the blind spots? Um, how, how can, how can I go about it if I do get this opportunity or if I have an opportunity to influence an organization as an advisor, uh, how can I use some of the information and the data and these brilliant people that are involved in the game? Uh, how can we use that as a, as a competitive advantage? You know, that com- combined with just, just leadership. So I jumped into trying to figure out how to, uh, push myself in, uh, you know, a master's course in organizational leadership. And the other thing was, trying to make sure that uh, I'm, I'm making the most of the opportunities with our media. And so I had a, a consultant come in and figure out, I right, hear some of the things, let's go through kind of the, the, the course of my career as a manager, how that was interpreted through the media eyes, and how can we uh, work in a way that, that this, once again, promotes the game positively, not just uh, for our fan base, but also how can it uh, be used to, to help our players along this road too and the things that are asked of them. So, I mean, it's just uh, such a long list, I think, with what each of us does to figure out ways to get better. And the analytics is just part of that part of that puzzle. That's great information for us to have, Mike, about you. Uh, but I got to say, so you're paying for an analytics course and you're asking them, okay, how do they look at managers? Did they say, oh, you're good, Mike. You're, everything's great. <laughs> <laughs> no, they they brought me more information. You gotta careful be careful what you ask for sometimes, Randy. But uh no, just breaking everything down and, and, and taking, you know, I would always consider myself uh, an old school manager. I just think there's things that uh, that have been passed down through time, things that I've been taught watching a Tony LaRusso, watching a Felipe Alou and a Phil Garner and watching some of these other managers that, uh, from across the, the, the field too. And here are some of the things they're doing. Is there, is there some reason that there's some data that supports this or, and, and it really is what, what's next. Cause I think if you get stuck, you're going to be a fossil in this game. If you're not willing to be forward thinking and not being able to take some of the information, the data is what it is, how we interpret it, how we explain it, how we then pass it on to the players is, is truly the skill of it. Um, but how can we get enough of the relevant information to make sure that we're not going to be catching up, that, that we're at the forefront of what the next thing is? Mike, one of the things we wanted to ask you about was Trevor Rosenthal. He seems to be looking great back to form. But what was it about him when you saw him initially uh, throwing that made you go to Dayton Moore to say, hey, we need to take a chance on this guy? I watched him last year, and I, I care about all these guys, and uh, a number of them still wearing, still wearing uh, Cardinal Red. And you, you, you develop those relationships because you're part of their story, I'm, uh, and they're part of mine, and, and uh, you just don't leave that, right? And so you, you watch these guys close, and Trevor's one who you know, had a, a huge impact for us while here in St. Louis and stayed in contact with, with he and Lindsay and their family and um, just – you suffer with them when when they're when they're struggling, and uh, you could just watch that there were some things that he was doing that that was getting him off track, and not that there was this major mechanical change that all you had to do is snap your fingers, but what you could see was this is a guy who just came off of injury, and I know Trevor, everybody who's been around Trevor knows this guy's a workhorse. And when he went into rehab, he just went to get strong and to, to prove everybody that he could come back. And he did. He came back healthy. But there's a, a there's a difference between healthy and then fine-tuned. And Trevor just wasn't fine-tuned. The velocity was there. 
Um, but mechanically, you could tell that his focus had been get healthy, get healthy, get healthy, instead of making quality pitches. And that's, that's part of the process. It, it evolves and it takes a little time. And so my encouragement to Dayton was, hey, I, I think this guy's still got it because the stuff's there. And I think it's just going to take a little time for him to get sharp again. And he came into his first bullpen um, in Surprise, Arizona, where we have spring training. And all I did was kind of watch him, and I saw the range of motion that was back. He, he, he changed the way that he trained to make sure that muscularly he can get bound up at some times, but he was fluid and he was smooth and he was reaching out. I didn't even watch how the ball was flying. All I wanted to see was, was his mechanics and it looked just nice and under control. And I went over and talked to our guys and they said, yeah, we had him at 97. And that's first day of spring training. And I'm thinking, okay, we've got something that's going to be fun here. So it's one of those great stories in the game of baseball um, in, in general, even if you don't know the people, but it, it makes it even that much greater when you do know them and, and you know they're overcoming and, and taking advantage of a great opportunity. Last thing for Mike Matheny, you mentioned you you love your players and the guys even that wear Cardinal Red. You were a mentor, Mike, to Yadier Molina when he came up working with him before 2004 and then obviously mentored him into being what he has become and then you were his manager how's your relationship now with Yachty have you had much communication with him since you left the Cardinals you know I, I do stay uh, stay away from guys too because you know, they got a, a job to do but uh, yeah, there are a, a number of the guys that I, I do every once in a while whether it's you know birthdays or anniversaries we'll, we'll stay in touch but you know I know that uh, the guy that just kind of hangs on and always in their space and, and won't let them kind of move on I, I never wanted to be that guy either so um, I reach out to, to all of them including Yachty from time to time um, but I let them uh, move on with life but I always make sure they know that I'm available if they would need anything but you know Randy I, I've said this a million times and I'll say it a million and one um, I, I was given way too much credit for the development of Yadier Molina. Yadi had a significant input into his life uh, as a catcher and as a baseball player before we ever crossed paths. I was fortunate to spend a little time with him as he came up as a rookie um, and then obviously to spend time with him uh, as, as his manager. But in both regards, he was already ready. And he uh, has, has had a great career, and it's been impressive to watch what he's been able to do and continue to do at the level he does. Um, but uh, it's uh, it's a special player that I know this this community and, and uh, the, the fan base of St. Louis realizes how special it is to witness uh, the, the progression and the things that Yachty does on a consistent basis. Well, Mike, you and I have known each other for more than 20 years now. You've always been kind to me, and uh, you, you were so generous with your time this morning. We wish you the best of luck with the Royals. Go get them, well, not for the next two days, <laughs> but then after that, and uh, hopefully we'll talk soon. Randy, take care. Good talking to you guys. Thank you, Mike. That's the manager of the Kansas City Royals, Mike Matheny on 101 ESPN. Yeah, I had to couch that. Go get him, just not for a few days. <laughs> exactly. Great to have Mike, and we appreciate him taking some time with us. We head towards Scoops with Danny Mack coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Scoops with Danny Mack coming your way here on 101 ESPN. Cardinals with a 9-3 win over the Royals last night. And Danny, first of all, good morning. Good morning. Uh, Second of all, do you think this is the time for the Cardinals to go on that winning streak to set themselves up for a playoff spot? 
For sure. Um, I think when you look at the Royals, it's uh, that was a key win last night. Keller's your best pitcher. So uh, you get the dark night tonight. He's not quite the dark night of New York. And then it's a bullpen start for the Royals tomorrow. And then you have Pittsburgh coming to town, and it's a doubleheader in one of those uh, those games or those days. So yeah, it's a time to get a little separation. And uh, and you know we talked about it last night on the game, and I, I was kind of looking at it. It's now you're getting into the if you want to call it the normalcy of the schedule where you can build up a little bit with your starters. You know what I mean? You you can start. You know, Flaherty got more pitches last night. I'm sure Wayno is coming off a seven inning game. It'd be nice to see him get to, you know, maybe eighty, ninety pitches tonight. And so you're you're starting to get your starter stretched out to where you, you when you do get into those doubleheaders in September, that one of those guys, maybe a handful of those guys, can give you a complete game, seven innings. And you're not diving into your bullpen multiple times unless a guy doesn't have it. So yeah, it, it's. Um, it's kind of getting back to a rhythm of the season is probably the best way to put it. Dan, um, I want to talk about Nostra Daniel because last night I hear on the broadcast that as Goldie hits that home run, Brad's like, you pointed out there. You almost called it, right? He said I was, um, what's the best way to put it to keep it clean? He said I was weak in not saying that I did not say it on the air. I did predict it. I wish I would have said it on the air, but yes, when he, there was a slider that was a really good pitch that he did not swing at, and I looked at Brad and I just said, this one's going out. Wow. <laughs> and and uh, he did, he hit it out. So I'm on a roll right now, but it doesn't count unless you say it on the air. By the way, I really enjoyed your interview with Mike Matheny. That was great. Thank you. Yeah, he has, uh, he, he took it upon himself. Good and stuff, like he, guys. he said, he... Uh, he did grind every day, but I do think, and, and like he said, he hired a, a media consultant. He, he talked to analytics. He took a, a, a master's class in uh, management, in organizational management. Uh, he's done things to change himself. I, uh, I'm pulling for Mike. I really am. I mean, my my dealings with Mike, were, with Mike weren't great. I mean, they were really good as a player. Um, initially, as a manager, I think they were they're okay. They're they were good. And by the end, I think with I think every, it's not a secret with the media, it wasn't great. And to his credit, as he mentioned in your interview, um, he he went and got you know media consultant and and tried to 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 get better in that area. Um, I've talked to the guys in Kansas City that covered him day after day, and they they say he's absolutely fantastic to deal with. So good on Mike. You know that was something I felt that he needed to get better with because. Baseball is different as opposed to some of the other sports. We're just, I guess we're a nuisance. We're gnats. You know, we're around every day. And it, and it's a sport where you are, unfortunately, I don't know if second guest is the right word, but you're going to be questioned about what you do in lineups and who's around, who's hurt, what's going on. You know, it just that's the nature of the sport. So you are going to be visiting with the Daily Beat guys and announcers and that kind of thing. So... Uh, good on Mike to to make that adjustment, and apparently in Kansas City, he's just been marvelous. It's hard to do that self-work, to, as he said, Absolutely. acknowledge your blind spots and seek out ways to better yourself. And I appreciated that he said not only with the media, but with analytics as well. Something yeah. that he said, hey, this is it was an issue for me, and I actively sought out ways to be better. This is the game. I mean, analytics and the metrics of the game, that, that's the game. Whether you like it or not, you better adjust. It, you have to adjust. Right. I mean, that's... The game. I mean, you you walk into, well, not this year, but you walk into Mike Shields' office, and there is a stack, a pile of notes, of printouts, of analytics, you know, and and 
that's you know his staff goes through all those things the the hitters the the matchups the spin rates i mean you you name it it's there for at his disposal of what he wants to go through it's there it's part of the game that's why there is an analytics department so it's uh to his best interest and mike maddox and jeff albert and all go through it dive into it and then take all of it and try to just make the best decisions Mike said something to me that Joe Torre said when he went to the Yankees. He said that I learn, I've learned to savor wins more. I think coaches and managers, they take wins for granted, and then they take losses hard. And that's why Dick Vermeil wound up retiring from the Rams, because he took the losses worse than he enjoyed the wins. I think as a manager... Because there's so many of them, you really do have to savor the wins. I do too. I, I think you got at least, at least to like the next morning, you got to savor it a little bit. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, guys, from what I've been around, Randy and Michelle, I, I think some, even some players, it's just like they they win the game and they're on to the next day. Mm-hmm. And when they lose, it's like it sticks to them until the next first pitch of the next day. You know what I mean? Right. Um, and I do think you have to savor it a little bit because it is. For lack of a better term, it is a grind of a of a six to seven month season. It'll eat at you. It just eats yeah. at you. And um, I can't remember who we were talking about the. Oh, it was uh, Ponce de Leon. And on the Zoom the other day, he went to Wainwright and said, "How did you do that the other day in your start? And how do you do this uh, day in and day out? How do you do it from start to start?" And Remember in the previous start, he had two errors behind him in the first inning. He's down two nothing, gives up a home run to Gallus, uh, Galvis. It's three nothing, and he looks up and he sets down fifteen in a row, and he's in the seventh inning. He said, "How do you do that?" And he said, "Man, you you have to think it's zero zero every time. Yep. You give up a home run, zero zero. Get it back up on the mound. You, you can't let it eat." You can't let it eat at you. And if you watch some of the great ones, and some of the great ones handle it differently with the the idea of how mad you get and the frustration. I always try to talk to my son, and I'm awful at this, so I'm probably, you know, don't do as I do. Do try as I say. Do as I say, right? Um, but he, he gets frustrated in golf, right? So I say, hey, man, you can't do anything about the last shot. Can't do anything about the last hole. He loves to play golf. You, you can't. Now, how... Great advice, but I can't do it, but I'm trying to have him do it. <laughs> but right? it's just like pitching. It's exactly it's, like pitching. It's the same thing, and and that's what is so hard in the sport, man. It's just put it behind you. You know, it's like the at-bats. It just eats at you. Yep. And that's what I appreciate, by the way, in watching DeYoung when I watch him play. When I'm watching Dylan Carlson right now, I'm not seeing a frustrated kid. When I watch DeYoung, he's 0 for 3, and then boom, hits a f- uh, three-run homer. The fourth time he comes up, you know, you don't see frustration a lot of times with the really good players. You just don't. I remember reading a story about Manny Ramirez, who suffered from severe ADD, and it was like the best thing because he didn't remember his last at bat or didn't care. Right. You know, I mean, yeah. not to say that those folks don't care. I'm, I'm not no, trying to say but that. But no, that's exactly the point. It just you you put it behind you and you just move on to the next at bat. Yep, you just move on and. If you can do that, the great ones have a way of being able to just put it behind them, and it, and it doesn't eat at them. If you can have that, man, it's just it's that's what separates yep. some of the great players in major professional sports. What do we have coming up on scoops? Well, as much as I don't want to do it, I'm going to do it. But it's going to be a look back. What happened in the bubble with the Blues? 
and then a look ahead what might happen next year with the Blues. It's going to be a really interesting offseason, whenever that starts and whenever it ends. Well, that's part of the question. When yeah. do we start? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> what do you guys think? You mean when we start hockey again? Yeah. I yeah. would say early January. I would say so, too. That that would be my best guess. Yeah, and maybe you're doing it with 5,000 people in the stands, including luxury boxes and stuff like that. I think that. You, you, more so than maybe baseball, the NBA, certainly football, you you got to have some kind of... You gotta have bodies in the seats, yeah. and you can't do a bubble. You can't, you can't do a six month bubble could or a five month bubble. I was thinking this though: could you start in a bubble to generate some type of revenue, TV wise, knowing that you move into a situation where you're then getting fans in the seats? I have to think that with a team like this one, it's going to be really hard to get players to buy into the bubble again. Yeah, oh, yeah. I, I would think the. I, I agree. I Good think. Call. More and more we're hearing about the bubble situation is that players are going to be like, nope, yeah, we ain't doing it. Don't think they loved it. No. Mm-mm. Which I know. I, I, I totally get <laughs> I don't think they loved it one bit. <laughs> don't think so. No, <laughs> not at all. Uh, Daniel, I will be texting you tonight during the broadcast. I appreciate the text. Michelle, you're always welcome to text. I never get any text from you. You'll so, get one tonight. You can guarantee good, it. <laughs> good. Sometimes I give Dan informative texts. Sometimes I'm just ridiculous. Yeah, I like either one. They're fun. I'm glad you makes like me it. think. As I say to the texters on the show, you make me think. So that's what's, what's important. It's always good. We're looking forward to scoops with Danny Mac, our producer engineer Scott Manziara. Thank you. Thanks, Randy. Michelle, as always, great stuff. Thanks, Randy. See you tomorrow. And a thanks to Mike Matheny and Denny Matthews and Greg Wyshynski for all of us. Thank you for tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show till tomorrow morning at seven. Have a great day, St. Louis. That was the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.